Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Football Odyssey podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Harris, and today we have our first guest appearing on the podcast. And before we get to that, I just want to clarify a couple uh, things that I misspoke on in the podcast. The first is when me and my guests were talking about the Buffalo Bills, I mentioned that they hadn't had a primetime game in since 2007, which when you listen to the podcast, you'll find that how I met my guest today completely contradicts what I said later on in the conversation. So if you'll excuse that. And also, I mistakenly referred to Devin Hester as David Hester. So Devin, I apologize to you. But aside from that, we're going to get this interview rolling. It's pre-recorded. And if you like it, feel free to subscribe and share or go to thefootballodyssey.com. Send me a message for what you think. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Football Odyssey. So without further ado, enjoy. What's going on, everyone? This is Aaron Harris, host of the Football Odyssey podcast. And today with me, I got a buddy of mine. He's a Buffalo native and therefore a staunch member of Bill's Mafia. I have with me Charles Engelke, but we all know him as Charlie. What's going on, man? Not much. Glad to be here. This is awesome. Glad to have you on. And to give everybody uh, just a little background, uh, Charlie and I both live here in Atlanta, and we actually met at a Steelers bar uh, known as Smith's Old Bar. Shout out to them. And it was actually the night that Buffalo pretty much crippled the Steelers' playoff hopes with uh, four Duck Hodges interceptions. Uh, but nonetheless, man, I got the conversation rolling. You know, Charlie and I were talking football all night long, and I couldn't think of anybody better to have – as the first guest on this podcast. So I appreciate you coming out, man. I appreciate you having me. And actually a uh, <clears throat> funny story about that. I'm sure we talked about it at some point. Um, so that, that was the biggest game that the bills have had in my time as a fan. Well, so um, I was born in 1990. I didn't really start paying attention or like really understanding football until essentially the drought started, which, 1999 was the last time the Bills made the playoffs until 2017. If I remember correctly, that's the longest playoff drought in uh, professional sports history. And uh, there was a point in the middle of the drought. It was 2006, and the Bills were 9-7 and seven going into the final game of the, of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was back when we had Drew Bledsoe and Eric Moulds and everybody, Travis Henry. And all we had to do was win that game, and we were to make the postseason. We were playing the Steelers, so your team, ironically – and the Steelers were great that year. Um, I think that's I think that's one of the years uh, y'all went to the Super Bowl. Um, they had they had the playoffs locked up for like two weeks at least. So they they put in their backups in the second half, and uh, they were showing on the big screen like because we needed Jacksonville to lose or somebody like they're like like two things needed to happen for us to make it in, and those two things did happen. And then Pittsburgh put in their backups, and we still lost. So that was the lowest pound part of the drought for me and then uh yeah that that night that you and i met that was the biggest game the bills have had since then and we actually pulled it pulled it through uh playing in pittsburgh with with your with the steelers fans going bananas the whole time so that was just quite the huge pendulum swing so yeah it's huge man i mean and i was uh i was in pittsburgh actually for the uh, rams game this year and i have been to pittsburgh i think two or three other times and when that stadium gets going, because they start playing Renegade, 
uh, yep. in the fourth quarter, and they were just going absolutely nuts. But then, you know, you're reading, uh, you know, a couple of days after that, you just saw Bills Mafia just come out, and they were just going nuts with it. You know, there's mm-hmm. like a little bit of like reverse psychology. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, my hats off to them; they did it. And as far as like the uh, needing everything to happen, I know what you're talking about, sort of, because there was. I think it was 2012 or 2013 when Pittsburgh had against the playoffs and they needed to win. And they also needed three other teams to lose. Maybe it was even four and they all lost except for the chargers. Or I think I think actually, yeah, they needed the chargers to lose and they put the, the backups in for the chiefs and the chiefs had the uh, field goal attempt at the end of the game and missed, but they had all their backups in. So Pittsburgh almost made it in, but didn't. And then, yeah. San, and then San Diego got in. So anytime that you are in a situation like that, you're like, man, just one little thing could have been different. But I guess as a fan, you know, that's what you live and die for, right? Yeah. And uh, so a couple of years ago, 2017, when we broke the drought, <clears throat> to all AFC North fans' uh, delight outside of Baltimore, um, <laughs> They're the reason why we made it in is because they had the most epic collapse I've ever seen a professional team have outside of like the Bills and maybe the Browns. Um, Cincinnati, absolutely nothing to play for playing in Baltimore. They just needed to get winning in. And then that fourth, it was like fourth and 17 or that miracle play from Andy Dalton to Tyler Boyd. Yeah, that's um, right. I, I could not believe that Baltimore let that slip. That was an absolute miracle. Um, so like that, Last year is really when I considered the drought being over uh, because in 2017, getting nine wins out of that team was was really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, really great job done by Sean McDermott, but we didn't belong in the postseason. And, you know, if anybody had to suffer through the, uh, the Bills-Jags playoff game, um, you could pretty much see why. Our uh, defense was good. Our offense was horrible. Um, but uh, it was good to get the monkey off the back, and then last year was was really great because we 100% deserved to be there. So it was uh, last year was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was I remember watching that Jacksonville Bills game in 2017 because Pittsburgh had a bye week, and I'm just sitting there thinking, my God, like, is this really what, what's what's gonna what's gonna happen? And then you know, sure enough, Jacksonville just they just got that bulletin board material from AB from Lev Bell. It's all you need, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But, yeah, that was wild because that was uh that was the the big shootout uh between Jacksonville and Pittsburgh that year, right? Yeah, I, I mean I I think it ended up being a three point game. I think the final score is maybe forty five forty two, but yeah. Juju Juju caught a touchdown with two seconds left in the game. And you know, Ben and Ben had I think five touchdowns total and he had a couple <laughs> more picks. So I mean he they were really trying their hardest. I mean, I remember like right before the uh, end of the first half, uh, Ben launched a deep bomb on like fourth and 10 to Martavis Bryant for a touchdown, which brought yep. it within, I want to say within two touchdowns. And then Le'Veon Bell came with the uh, touchdown to start off the third quarter, which brought it into a one touchdown game. But yeah, ja- ja- Jacksonville, that game was just unbelievable. And then going to New England the next week, I'm watching them play. And you, you really think with a little bit more aggressive play calling, they would have had that game in the bag. Yeah, which it was it was amazing because obviously Jacksonville was not known for their offense and their defense was stellar and uh, Pittsburgh chewed them up all day long um, defensively and then you know Pittsburgh's defense wasn't showing up which was kind of odd and uh, yeah Jacksonville's never scored that many points at least if it's been all offense and uh, 
So that was kind of an anomaly from the performance from Jacksonville. I felt I felt bad for for Big Ben in the offense. They were just showing up time after time after time, and the defense couldn't get a stop if their lives depended on them. But um, that's what happens in the postseason, man. Just the most crazy. I mean, it's just like this past year when Tennessee uh, uh, beat the daylight out of uh, out of Baltimore. You know that was who saw that coming. Yeah. And and there seems to be like a recipe because obviously, you know, we're not going to know whether Tennessee is going to keep this train rolling. But there seems to be that one season recipe where if you have a strong running game, you know, a a very strong defense or, you know, an an intelligent defense. And then you have, you know, a serviceable quarterback that you can kind of go the distance, you know, maybe not maybe not go the distance, but you can get far into the playoffs. Um, And you know, I guess we can say, you know, ultimately it doesn't really work that way anymore because, you know, the quarterbacks that are winning the game now are the ones who are going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it makes you wonder, you know, to really win a championship, it's kind of a situation where you either need to have an outstanding quarterback and a serviceable defense or vice versa. You need to have like an outstanding defense and a serviceable quarterback, you know? Yeah. And, and momentum is also huge going into the postseason. Um, yeah. And that's exactly what Tennessee had. Um, so they started off, can't remember. They started off, uh, the record was okay. And then they lost a bunch and then Tannehill came in and then, um, they won like eight or nine straight games or something crazy. And they reminded me a little bit of, uh, the giants from way back, um, when the giants upset the, the Patriots twice in the Super Bowl because they were far from the best team in the postseason, but, they were, you know, hitting all cylinders at the right time, and they rolled that all the way through to make the Super Bowl, and then obviously win those games. So um, Tennessee was very much like that, um, but you know, Kansas City is a tough one to beat, especially at home. So. Well, I mean, while we're on the topic of Kansas City, I mean, you know, you have the 49ers who really just had that game well in control, and they still, they, I mean, they played the game really that they were looking to play, and they still lost by what was it, 10, 11 points. Yeah, um, I I think it's kind of the case of when you have an offense as good as Kansas City's, um, keeping them quiet for as long as they did was incredible. But it's when you have a team that's that good and that opportunistic and then with the firepower that they have, if they get just like a crack of daylight and they take advantage and then that just crack gets wider and wider and wider and then they start the momentum and the other team falls apart, um, I, I'm used to seeing that happen with the Patriots, even though they're, you know, they've only had that kind of offensive firepower a couple of times um, throughout, you know, the Brady Belichick days. But there's been so many games where the Patriots are not the best team on the field. Um, you know, they're either sluggish in the first or second quarter, have some uncharacteristic turnovers, um, and they they start screwing up. But then once the other team screws up they always take advantage whether, you know, they turn a turnover into seven points. They they are the masters of that. And then they start momentum rolling, and then the other team just kind of falls apart. I mean, I've seen them do it to the Bills so many times. I mean, our entire division, which, granted, they've always been the best team, but there's been so many times where they were on the ropes and they just need one or two mistakes from the other team, and then it's over. You know, you saw that in the uh, the Super Bowl against the Falcons. <laughs> yeah, well, like while you're talking, that's the first game that comes to mind when you're talking uh, about that description. You know, they're just guys who are going to fight you for 60 minutes and beyond if need be. You know, I mean, uh-huh. and you know, everybody makes a you know the point that all the Falcons had to do is rely more on the run than trying to throw the ball. But you know, when when you're a, a team like the Patriots and when you're a coach like Belichick, 
you know, a lot of it is just waiting for that, that shining moment and taking advantage of it. You know, I think a lot of it, I mean, another game that comes to mind too, I think it was 2000, it was 2012 or 13, whenever uh, Peyton was with the Broncos and they went into Foxborough and I think at halftime it was like 24, nothing, 24, three Sunday night football. And they just came back, you know, little by little, you know, they were running like those rub routes. They were getting open. I mean, you just get a couple turnovers in that team, man. They just ride, they just ride momentum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they uh, they like to demoralize you. Is what they do. Is they just and it's not like it's not like a big swing. It's just like, and that's what you know kills the defense. You know, it's it's not like two or three big plays and they score and then you can kind of regroup. It'll be like a twelve or thirteen, fourteen play drive, and they'll bring it down. You know, within the ten yard line, it'll be third, third and goal. They'll go for it on fourth and goal, and it's just those back breaking scores that brings it back in the game and it just it just crushes the confidence of the other team and then that's you know that's what Brady and Belichick do they just they wait they they they're super super opportunistic um and once that happens it's just they just pour it on and the other team just kind of falls apart and they just pick you apart uh you know mentally a lot as well and it just kind of deflates the other team you can see it I've seen it. We've all seen it so many times in the last 20 years. Oh, my gosh. That's why I'm very glad that Tom Brady's no longer in the AFC East. <laughs> We've suffered enough. <laughs> yeah, and and obviously, you know, you were riding pretty high, I guess, on that note until uh, Cam Newton came into the picture. Yeah, I'm not thrilled about that. I uh, It is such a Patriots move to just, just wait. You just, you know, wait and wait and wait and not spend money. And take advantage of everybody else's. Uh, I don't want to say maybe foolishness because um, I, I didn't understand why Cam Newton was available. Maybe it's you know this weird off season that we're in, and you know he's he was so banged up last year, and people couldn't get their their doctors to look at him. But I mean, last year was obviously rough for him, but um, in 2018 he was he was good. He had. Uh, I think he just shy of 4,000 yards passing somewhere around there, like 26 touchdowns to like 12 interceptions. So he was very productive. And, you know, everybody, you know, we all know that he hasn't had much help in terms of his skill position players. I think that was McCaffrey's first year. So that was really helpful, but hasn't really had good receivers. You know, Greg Olson was good, but he was productive two years ago. And then he was unhealthy and a really, really bad team. And I mean, from the videos I've been seeing of him posting, he looks like he's in tremendous shape. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, his shoulder is all better and his ankle is all better. I mean, he was really beat yeah. up, but he's not going to be – Belichick is not going to ask him to run the ball 18 times a game. Um, yeah. I think uh, – I was just talking about this, I think, with yourself and some other people. Um, he's not going to probably have the gaudiest numbers like he has in the past. Like his rookie year, he ran for like 14 touchdowns or something, but – he will be extremely effective. He'll be, you know, on like second, third, fourth, and short. He'll get a ton of first downs. And then, you know, when they get into um, when they get into the red zone, they'll be really tough to defend because Sony Michelle is obviously a really uh, hard runner. Uh, James White is almost impossible to cover in the flats. And then, you know, those are two guys you got to worry about. And then Cam is also 6'5", what, 250, 60 pounds. Yeah. You know they'll be good. Um, I think just if he if he starts and he's healthy, um, and you know Belichick and Josh McDaniels are geniuses. You know they'll be able to use him perfectly, and he's behind a pretty good offensive line. 
Um, he'll give him another win or two just alone if he can stay healthy, um, which is disappointing because <laughs> I was really yeah, hoping. I mean, it is a big if. You know, I mean, you, we talked about why is he on the market in the first place? And, you know, injuries at a certain point do kind of, whether they affect you or not, they do kind of affect the way the front office thinks, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and the fact that they had a new coach coming in, you know, he might want something different than what he had in cam, but you know, the guy's a good intermediate throw, you know, he, he hits the intermediate throws. He can hit the, he can hit the short game. And, you know, when you think about Cam, you always think of like his first few years, like in that rookie season when he was throwing the ball downfield left and right. I mean, it was amazing to watch on top of right. him just running over people. I mean, really, it was an outstanding, you know, freshman season for a kid. But I think, you know, when you look at Belichick and Brady, you know, or Belichick and uh, McDaniels, it's a, definitely a good pair and one feeds off the other, I really think, because – you know, Belichick is obviously the defensive mastermind that everybody recognizes him as. And McDaniels, you know, he's, he's had a lot of other opportunities to go elsewhere. But, you know, there's just some some rapport that he has with Bill that just keeps that train rolling no matter really what the roster is like. Well, I think, you, I think he, like everybody else in the NFL that signs with the Patriots and takes less money, they just like to win, you know. That's true. I mean, McDaniels had – He's had an outstanding career, and yeah, he walked away from uh, from the Indy job. That uh, yeah. and Indy was lucky to Frank Reich is a pretty pretty darn good plan B. Um, that guy's been doing a great job, but uh, yeah, I just think he. Also, I think that um, Robert Kraft is. I think a lot, everybody likes to work for him. Um, he seems like a very player uh, staff friendly owner. Um, so. I think that uh, while Belichick is, from what I gather, is pretty darn difficult to work with and work under, um, obviously McDaniels has a good rapport with him and he's had a ton of success. Also, I think that McDaniels likes to coach Tom Brady. I mean, who the heck wouldn't? You know, it's yeah. coaching a guy that's, that's good, ice in the veins, when, you know, probably the best to ever do it, brilliant. You know, that makes your job probably <laughs> – probably pretty enjoyable because a lot of times the way the NFL goes, if your quarterback doesn't play well, the offensive coordinator is probably the first guy to go. So job yeah. stability too, but you know, McDaniels, he, he made it work with Tim Tebow in Denver, who is a similar playing quarterback to Cam Newton, obviously not even in the same universe as good as his Cam. So if he can make it work with, with Tim Tebow and, um, you know, a lot of people are saying he's a totally different quarterback. Like, Cam's obviously a very different quarterback than Brady, which is accurate. But if he can make it work with Tim Tebow and, you know, I mean, Belichick makes it work with everybody, they'll they'll be good. I mean, their, their offense was looking pretty weak up until that signing. And, again, he's got to be healthy, but um, he doesn't need to be 2015 Cam for the Patriots to do, you know, well on offense and, you know, win a lot of games. So Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like the slogan goes for that franchise, just do your job. I mean, it's it's really remarkable, too, to also think about how many, because you mentioned Daniels when he was in Denver. You think about how many Belichick disciples have gone on to get other, you know, head coaching positions, but don't garner the same success, you know? Mm -hmm. And you, and a lot of people, you know, you got to wonder in a way, you know, you have a guy that you really learn how to truly break down every aspect of the game. You know, you really see firsthand how he deals with players, how he handles the administrative part of professional football. You wonder, like, why can't they replicate it? And I think a lot of the times, too, is, you know, I think a big part of Bill's success is being able to get people to buy into the system, you know, for a lot longer than, you know, a lot of people would stick with it. So you got to think that maybe perhaps at a certain point, 
you know, people who try to emulate that same system elsewhere, they just kind of lose focus after a while or kind of abandon it. Cause you know, when you take a guy like you have Tom Brady, who, you know, I think everybody recognizes as the best quarterback of all time, he's not getting mm-hmm. any preferential treatment. You know, when you're holding everybody to the same standard, you're creating an atmosphere where it's like, okay, well, I guess we all have to pull our own weight here, you know? Which is a good thing for the lower guys on the roster. Um, but um, I read it was a great article. Um, I think it was I think it was on ESPN. I can't remember who the writer was. Uh, it was a really really long in depth piece about the Brady Belichick relationship, and it's just I think because I, I don't think he was looking for preferential treatment, but I think uh, like like one of the big things I took away was because he has done so much and he works so tirelessly. And he's been very easy to work with in terms of contracts. I mean, he's taken how many pay cuts over 20 years. And, you know, as the consummate professional, ultimate competitor, you know, he, all he does is win. And um, he never caught like an inch of slack from Belichick, which is area. He just felt like he was underappreciated, you know, which, you know, I, I respect Belichick's mentality because I played for coaches that, that um, had favorites. And it was so painfully obvious how, you know, you know, certain players just didn't mean nearly as much as other ones did. And that's, that's true for every organization and every team, but you can't, you can't just do that. You can't make it so painfully obvious that half the guys on the team just don't nearly matter as much as, as, as a certain group in your star players. So I appreciate that aspect of Belichick, but it's also, it's like, you know, cut the guy some slack. If he wants to go use a certain trainer, just let him use it. Like who cares? So I think that's where Belichick gets in trouble. Um, but if, it, does, if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah. A lot of players walk and um, a lot of players don't want to resign, but it doesn't stop that team from winning. I mean, that guy's just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm really, I'm really curious to see how it plays out in the post Tom era, but you know, this is kind of the question I think we've all wanted answers because you know, there's a lot of detraction that comes on Tom's side as the greatest of all time because he played with the greatest for the greatest coach of all time. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily hear the same argument on the side of Belichick, you know? So I, I think this will kind of, I and mean, it's not going to be the end all be all in terms of, you know, settling that debate, but I do think it's going to be entertaining to see for a couple of years to see how they both fare without each other. I, I agree. And I think, and I, I have a very strong opinion on this. I, I I've had this, conversation or debate with people a lot of times over the years um a first and foremost right now it's a lot easier for bill belichick to continue to to succeed because he's not counting on his 43 year old body to to get him through it so tom is going to be it's going to be more difficult for him to succeed just because he's counting on his arms his, his knees his elbows his shoulders that you know after 20 years of playing ball it's going to be difficult where belichick just still has to coach and draw up schemes and everything like that um so there's that, but um, I do not think it's a, it's one or the other. I think I think it's both. I think Bill Belichick is an absolute genius. I think he is one of the best, if not the best, at taking at you know drafting or signing players and just finding out what they do well and just using them at that and not overusing somebody. Um, you know, I mean, look at how their ground game has been. You know, they've employed three, four running backs. I mean, for how long where, you know, Rex Burkhead one week will have a hundred something yards and then he won't touch the ball for more than four times, four or five times a game for the next six weeks. Um, you know, Wes Welker was returning punts 
win Miami, and then he gets and then he signs in New England. He catches five hundred or uh, hundred passes or more. He had a hundred catches or more five times. You know, it's but at the same time, it's like you know Brady's the one that is on the field and he makes a super clutch throws and he keeps everybody composed. And I think they both would have been Hall of Famers either way, and they both would have at least made it to at least one or two Super Bowls and probably won at least one. Um, I know in like a 20 year span, but the reason that the reason why the Patriots are the greatest dynasty in NFL history, you know, the past 20, 20 years, you know, with the constant AFC championship, Super Bowl appearances and, and wins is because those two have been together for that long. You know, the whole like the everything runs through those two. And I don't think that either one of them would have had a shorter career or you know, maybe not as individually successful, but, you know, in terms of how the wins have stacked up and the Super Bowls and the AFC championships and all that, it's because they've been together because they're the perfect pair. They are just the most ruthless competitors and are willing to do whatever it takes to win. They're both extremely smart. They both have ice in the veins. Um, they outwill people. Um, they're, it's, they're a match made in heaven in terms of a court, uh, coach and, and quarterback. So, they both would have had super successful careers if they were independent from one each other, from one another for a long time. But because they've been together for so long, that's why the Patriots are the dynasty as we know them as, in my opinion. Yeah, and when you put in the perspective of 20 years, you know, a dynasty that runs for 20 years, it's really mind-boggling to think about. Because when you think to the 2001, 2003, and 2004 Super Bowls, you know, you're, you're talking about a, a defensive group that a lot of those guys had actually been on the team since the late 90s. You know, a lot of them had actually been coached. I, some of them were coached by Bilicek when he was actually on uh, Parcells' defensive uh, staff when they went to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. in 96. So you, you have Bilicek who comes in with a little bit of uh, familiarity with what he has on the roster, right? And then, you know, he sees a guy in Tom who was kind of forced into the situation, obviously, with Drew's hit that knocked him out from um, Mo Lewis. Yep. And it just seems like like lightning struck in a bottle. You know, I, I don't remember what I think they were 11 and five that 2001 season, but it's like instantaneously they just completely reshifted their game plan to more of a conservative passing game with, you know, a good running game with Antoine Smith. And, you know, it's it's interesting to see how the guy really will kind of tailor a game plan towards his player's strengths while also making it work as a detractor to his opponent's mm-hmm. uh, like yeah. weakness or the, the, the adaptability of, of Belichick um, and obviously his players, because they have to execute it, is, is unbelievable. Like whether it's how he's going to structure a season, you know, where, you know, shortly after, you know, Randy Moss and, you know, Gronk and uh, Welker all, all left where they were super, super pass happy. And obviously Gronk stayed a lot longer than, the, than Welker and Moss. They went to a heavy run game. And, you know, when they went to – I can't remember what Super Bowl they won or at least appeared in um, when uh, LeGarrette Blunt had like 18 touchdowns, you know, it's, so it's like whether he wants to structure the season that way or definitely in game, uh, you know, the, the, the in-game adjustments that Belichick makes is, is outstanding. So he is, and I, and I think he learned that from Bill Parcells. If I remember uh, Bill Parcells was a big, uh, was a big uh, supporter of tailoring your, your team, to your player's strengths instead of saying, like, we want a three, four, this is what we're going to do. You have to do this, this, and that, and just kind of sitting back and assessing, like, what your roster looks like and what these guys do well and tailor everything you do around their strengths. And that's what Belichick has always done. And he's obviously been incredibly successful. And we've all seen coaches that show up and they, you know, 
they have a system, they have a scheme, and they try to force it on people. One was, oh, my God, Rex Ryan. It was so terrible watching him do try to pull that off here. We had uh, <laughs> we had uh, Mario Williams and Jerry Hughes. Mario Williams is 300 pounds. Plus, I think he's over 300 pounds, and he had him covering running backs, like, down the field. I remember – I can't tell you how many times I saw Jerry Hughes – like 20, 30 years, yards down the field covering Rob Gronkowski. And because that was just the – that was the responsibility in his system where it worked tremendously in Baltimore and in New York. But it's like you just have to be more cognizant of what you're doing and, like, who you're playing with. And, you know, Mario Williams hated it. He got really upset here, and then he pretty much, like, quit on the Bills. And, you know, and like just seeing that is so horribly out of scheme and, like, the, like the fact that you had Jerry Hughes as a DN covering any tight end 30, 40 yards, yards down the field, let alone Gronkowski was the most dominant offensive weapon in the league at that time. You know, it's it just – it didn't work. The players didn't buy in. There was a ton of penalties. We lost a lot of games. We had a lot of talent on those teams, and it was just wasted because, again, we were using players in the wrong, in the wrong ways, and we were really not successful. And uh, so just like a total – opposite of that but I mean we've all seen it where a coach just tries to put a square peg in a in a, in a, in a circular uh, location it just doesn't work yeah now while we're on the uh, the topic of Buffalo so you're a Buffalo native um, you know obviously you're a big football fan so yes, sir so when and how did uh, you get into football to begin with was it something that your parents had installed in you was it something you took to organically yeah, it's um, – I couldn't tell you the age. I just – I think I've always been around football. Um, you know, my dad was a big football fan, never played. Um, but, you know, he, he loves football, loves the Bills. My my mom, uh, she's one of eight, and four, all four of her brothers uh, were football players and really good ones. Uh, my Uncle Mike uh, was absolutely – he was a he was a legend at one of the high schools in, 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 uh, in Buffalo – and his son, my cousin Ian, who was four years older than me, was was an absolute freak of nature playing football as well. So I was just surrounded by it. Um, and then, you know, Buffalo is just a huge football town. Um, you know, it's football and hockey primarily because those are the two professional sports that we have with the Bills and the Sabres. Um, it's a great sports town in general, but, you know, it's football and hockey, and, and, and the Bills definitely get uh, a little bit more love just – I don't know why that is because the, the Sabres have a pretty similar history um, in terms of success and, you know, unfortunate droughts and everything, but just a huge, huge, huge football town. Um, and uh, it's funny. I've always heard from coaches, players in the NFL when they come through Buffalo for the first time, um, they, you know, they, they explain it as a college like at, atmosphere. And I never really knew what that meant. You know, I, you know, I just, I'm like, eh, you know, that's, that's definitely a compliment. And then I moved down here to Atlanta, Georgia, I see how the football fans are, the college football fans are down here, um, where it's all about college. You know, like I expected the the fan base for the Falcons to be um, a little bit stronger because, you know, I'm used to them being, you know, pretty darn good for the most part. And it's, you know, it's all, you know, UGA, South Carolina, Alabama, Alabama, you know, Florida State, Florida. I mean, you get all the, all the, you know, so many of the best football programs in the history of NCAA, NCAA football all down here and seeing how they act uh, about their teams and how passionate they are. And, you know, all their cars are all decked out and whatever team that they support. And, 
you know, college, you know, Saturdays down here are just crazy. And it, like, I, like I better understood it now, you know, being down here for a couple of years, cause that's exactly how we are with the bills. I mean, the, the bills are, are, you know, life for a lot of people. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, that's why, you know, you know, the bills mafia, you know, uh, has a lot of, has definitely a pretty strong reputation, but you know, people, you know, we just go crazy for our team. And even, even in, when we're not so good, you know, we, we just love the bills. And so, you know, it's kind of hard not to be a, a bills fan um, growing up and growing up in Buffalo, New York, especially, you know, me as a guy who would like to play sports anyway. Um, so that's how I, I definitely got into it, you know, first and foremost through my family, but then also just growing up, it's, it's, it's impossible not to be a fan. Not everybody has to be as diehard as, as myself, but um, you know, I just, I just grew up loving football. Obviously still do. So. Now, where do you think that sense of just undying passion for the bills, even when they are in playoff droughts, even when they aren't doing well, like, cause there are a lot of teams who their fan base just kind of abandons them if they're bad. You know, when they're yeah. when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's bad. And that goes for the fans too. But you know, with Buffalo, it doesn't matter if that team is on their way to losing, you know, twenty six games in a row. They're there, they're tailgating, they're going crazy. I mean, like yeah. what do you what do you think it is about the city that just makes everybody just flock to the team regardless of what the record is? Well, as opposed to a lot of other big market teams, um, you know, like like obviously the Jets, the Giants, the Cowboys, um, you know, I don't know if, if the Dolphins are considered a big market team or not, but obviously bigger than Buffalo. You know, there's just, you know, Buffalo's not a tiny city. I mean, there's over a million people that live there in the metro area, but, you know, there's not as much, there, there's not like a, a plethora of things to do all the time year round like there is in those other cities that I just mentioned. You know, New York obviously being, you know, one of the biggest cities on the planet, you know, Dallas being huge and everything like that. Um, so there's, there's not as much distraction, I guess, if you will, for like other things to do, but also it's just, um, it's just pride. Um, you know, people love sports up there. Um, and, you know, because we get, you know, because the team, you know, for so many ways has, has resembled what the city is, you know, so many people, you know, think of Buffalo and the first thing they think of is snow and then that's it. And there's no other thought snow and chicken wing. <laughs> And then people want to move on to another part of the conversation where it's like, no, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. And that's, you know, how, you know, the sporting world and obviously professional football fans and, and media has, has viewed the Buffalo Bills pretty much ever since the, the Super Bowl years ended, which was, you know, 20, over, you know, a quarter century ago. Because um, we and we haven't, you know, to be fair, the, the Bills franchise hasn't given a whole lot of reason outside of the last couple of years to, give it a whole lot of thought because we've been so bad for so long, but people just don't really take it seriously. I can't tell you how many times I'd be watching a Bills game and the commentator has the names of the players wrong. And, you know, it's just embarrassing. And it's just so it's because, you know, on a national level, people haven't really taken the Bills super seriously. Um, definitely Bills fans and, you know, Buffalonians like kind of, you know, they take that personally. You know, it's just kind of disrespectful. And even though the team's not doing good, it's like, you know, do your diligence, you know. <laughs> No, yeah, it's like, you know, things of that nature. So, um, I don't know. And I think, I think a lot of it started just, you know, the bills do have a really decorated history. Um, you know, they were really good in the seventies, the eighties, not so good. And then, uh, you know, they had the four, 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 uh, four years in a row Super Bowl run, which obviously we didn't win any, but that's a feat that still hasn't been matched. 
Um, I think I think a lot of it just started then. I mean, it's just generation about generation of people. You know, everybody's father, grandfather, great grandfather, uncle, whatever. You know, mom, sister, and everybody loves the Bills and have loved them for so long. It's just something that's kind of inherited. And uh, yeah, I mean, we just love our team. And even you know, it's something that I, I recommend to everybody. Um, you know, who's a football fan? It's like just you know, go watch a game in, in in Buffalo. Like whether you know, if it's you know, you and you know picking a Steelers game playing in Buffalo or something like that, just go to that game and just see how it is because the, the tailgate is phenomenal. Um, and then obviously the game experience, I mean, people just go absolutely bananas and it's, and it's great. You know, it's, it's great when we do good and, you know, we, you know, we didn't do good for a long time, but it's still people would show up and show out and it's just, it's great. And, you know, we absolutely love it when we win, hate it when we lose, but, I guess that's just, I, I kind of got long-winded there, but uh, there's a lot of reasons to that. I think it's just, you know, small town, we have two sports teams and, you know, the Bills go back, you know, 60-something years now, I want to say. So uh, we've been around for a long time and people have been cheering for them for a long time and they've been good a lot. Not so good for a long time now, but now we're kind of back on that cusp and we're looking like we're kind of heading back into the to, to the winning days. So, um it's been a long time coming for my generation, that's for sure. <laughs> but I guess well, that's the best way to describe it. Well, yeah, and you definitely have to take it as it comes because you never – I mean, like you mentioned, you know, four straight Super Bowls is something that hasn't been done, you know, before or since. And, w- and when you think about it, you know, when you look at what that team was able to accomplish, you know, it's easy to mark them off as, you know, losing four straight Super Bowls, and that's good to, you know, make fun of a Bills fan, you know, here and there. But, you know, when you think about that and the way they did it too, because, you know, when you think of a high-flying offense that's, you know, shattering records, you're not thinking of Buffalo, first and foremost. You know, there's that old adage where, oh, you know, if you're – if it's snowing, then, you know, you, it's easier to run the ball. And I think we all know that's that's not the case at all. You know, it's just as difficult to run. You know, you still got to hold on right. to the ball. Um, right. But, but really, uh, what you're – saying makes sense because you find in a lot of small towns, you know, be it whether it's a professional football team or even all the way down to a high school team, when you have like an identity that's really based around sports and it's specifically football and coming from the conditions that you're talking about with like harsh weather, you really like find something to really hang on to with the team and you really identify it in that sense. Yeah. Like uh, I guess like a a really simple thing to say uh, to describe, you know, what, football season is like in Buffalo, New York is when the bills are playing that no matter where you're going to go, that's going to be, the game is going to be on every single TV. Everybody's decked out in Buffalo bills gear everywhere, anywhere you want to go. And then especially, you know, especially on game day, um, you know, like I said, Buffalo's not a huge town. It's not tiny, but you know, the stadium has can fit like 70 something thousand people in it. Um, mm. You know, people are tailgating around the around the around the uh, stadium that don't have tickets, and you know the bars are filled up. And I mean, like Sundays in in Buffalo are dedicated to the Buffalo Bills. And obviously, every you know we watch football. You know, just like I said, it's a football town, a uh, sports town, so we watch everything. But like, the, it, it is impossible not to know that the Bills are playing in Sunday in Buffalo, New York. If that makes sense, you know, it's just it's it's so huge for for the city. So yeah, and. It, is the stadium still Ralph Wilson Stadium? No, and it's funny. It actually, there's just a recent change. So it was Rich Stadium for the longest time, and then it was a Ralph Wilson Stadium for somewhere around 20 years, maybe not quite. And, uh, and then it was New Era Field uh, in 2016, which New Era is the uh, is the hat company. It's right. been the official 
uh, official cap company of the, of the NFL, and I think they still are. They just asked to uh, cut ties with the Bills, and I'm not really sure as to why. Um, I was reading up on it, and I don't know if it has something to do with – you know what, I'm not even going to speculate because I can't really remember. It was, it was a very brief story, but – so, so now it's now it's not going to be New Era Field anymore, and we're not sure what it's going to be. Um, it's going to be there's a lot of suggestions out there, and you know I'm sure plenty of companies are going to be vying to get the the stadium rights because now the Bills are. Uh, I think we have four or five pr- prime time games this year, so that's a lot of exposure for whatever company is going to have the naming rights. So um, there'll probably be some decent competition, but as of right now, we we don't know. Gotcha. Yeah, five, four or five primetime games, man. That's that's convenient. Because sometimes, yeah. sometimes, sometimes it, you know, when you when you have some things to do. Because for me personally, I'm the kind of guy who would try to get everything done before Sunday. Because I I do watch college, but I'm not as invested in it as I am with professional football. So I right. I can buy I can pass over some of like the bigger college games that everybody down here is freaking out about, and be okay with it just to get my stuff done. So that Sunday is completely just you know a 12 hour extravaganza of doing absolutely nothing but watching football. (laughs) But I mean, yeah, for for the bills to have four or five primetime games, that's, that's huge. You know, because I think the last time they actually had a primetime game, I could be mistaken, but I think it was uh, 2007 against the Patriots. It was, that was the, that was the last Sunday night game in a while. And we got absolutely crushed. It was like, they, they scored like 50 something points. I think we might've got, three or 10 or something like that. It was, it was ugly. Moss must we didn't have, have a night game in a while. Yeah. And then, um, then last year, you know, we had, we had the game against the Steelers and then we had, uh, I think a Saturday night game as well. I can't remember. Was the Steelers oh, yeah. game a Sunday night? No, it was Sunday that's... night. Actually, it was, yeah, it was the, uh, I think it was actually the week after where they played uh, New England that Saturday night, like the weekend before Christmas. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the, and then the Thanksgiving game against Dallas, which, you know, that's not a nighttime game, but it's definitely prime time. Oh, absolutely. Everybody's watching. That's the only game on. (laughs) Yeah. So we, we had a few more last year than we're used to having. And then, um, you know, because of last year's success, um, we got, we got a lot. So it's, the bills will be, you know, in the national spotlight uh, quite a bit this year. And I just hope we'd show up like we did last year. Cause when we did that against, you know, Patriots, Steelers, and and uh, Cowboys. We won two out of those three games, and and the the Patriots. We you know just barely lost. Um, so I'm hoping it's going to continue. We have a stronger roster than we had last year. Uh, a lot of continuity, and a lot of our you know we have so many really young players that we're really counting on. So they're just getting more experience. So it it should be good. But we're also playing the Bills are also playing the NFC West and the AFC West respectively um, for our out of uh, out of division divisions that we're playing so those are probably the two strongest divisions in football so that makes things that makes things pretty difficult well hey you know if you want to be considered you know one of the best teams you know one of the big boys you got to play with them right you're right you're absolutely right that's something to look forward to Uh and now you also mentioned that uh you played football right yes sir i uh played for 10 years um started started playing in um in uh, elementary school, I played little league football two years, uh, two years I played there. And that was actually kind of tough because even though I was one of the bigger guys on the squad at that time, I was playing with guys that had been playing football since they were about five and six. And uh, they just knew what they were doing. And I didn't, you know, they knew how to hit, they knew how to get low, they knew how to use leverage. And they, uh, 
they were used to getting beat up. <laughs> they were tough. Yeah. Oh my God. So it was kind of like baptism by fire there. So, um, took my lumps there for sure. And then, uh, played four years of high school football at, uh, Bishop time in St. Jude. Um, and then from there I played four years at, uh, Alfred university's division three program in West New York, uh, located about two hours South of Buffalo. Okay. So of the, so elementary high school and D three football of those three, which did you find the most enjoyment in? That's a really good question. Um, and I, I struggle with that because um, high school is when I had the most individual success. Um, you know, I had two years of little loop and what I was doing, uh, played at a relatively small school. Um, so we're, we're kind of scrappy um, play with, play with a lot of talented guys. We just had a very small team. We didn't win a whole lot. Um, uh, my junior year, I was named all conference and I was, I was actually, um, in line to have a really big senior season. Then I tore my meniscus in, in camp. Uh, tried to play on it for a game, got through one game, and then the second game uh, tore it again, and that was the end of my year. So um, then, you know, a lot of the recruiting I was getting uh, fell off, uh, you know, like for like D1, D1, AA. And then I got recruited still pretty heavily by Alfred University. Went out there, saw the campus, met the coaching staff, learned about the program, and I, I was really impressed when I went there. Unfortunately, my career at Alfred was not what I was hoping for individually. Um, I was very naive to how serious Division Three football is. When I was coming into it, I'm like, okay, this is the lowest level of college football. You know, I'll start two or three years here minimum. Um you know, I was getting scouted by University of Buffalo, by some D1 AA programs. I'm like, this should, you know, this should be no problem. And I was uh, very wrong. It was very ignorant of me to think that. And, I'm, you know, I show up and I see these guys that are just freaks of nature. Um, <laughs> and I just, you know, I, I, I was tall, but I wasn't as big as everybody else. So I didn't get a whole lot of playing time. Um, but on the flip side, where I got a ton of playing time in high school and we lost all the time, that was rough. You know, I, I love playing and, you know, I love the experience on the field, but I hated losing. We just, we lost all the time. And uh, so then I go to Alfred and while I'm not personally on the field as much, all we did was win. We, we just won all the time. And like, uh, I think my freshman year, we were seven and four and that was like a huge disappointment. And uh, I was a part of um, up until Alfred recently got just as far in the tournament. I was a part of the best team that the that that Alfred has ever had um first first team to win a playoff game and we made it to the elite eight um and actually lost to Mountain Union um if you're familiar Mountain Union is a team that should have nothing to do with division three football um they should be division one double a at the very minute at the very minimum but yeah we had a man we we our teams were so good and uh you know I just played with I mean High school too, but you know, in college they were just the toughest, toughest guys. Super hardworking, super dedicated, and like you, you know, yeah. I learned a lot, you know, about accountability, working super hard, you know, or you know, organization, um, you know, getting on a good schedule, and yeah, it, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, so I want to say, like, um, on the field, I had no fun playing probably in high school because I was, you know, on the field constantly. But college was great. You know, it was great to be part of those teams. Um, it's it's tough also to 
a lot of guys don't make it four years. Um, I, uh, I, I showed up on campus with about 90 something other freshman football players. And a lot of them, some of them weren't so good. A lot of them were pretty good. A lot of them were really good. And I, you know, we graduated, I think there was like 18 of us and that was a lot. So experience that at, at Alfred being a part of the first teams that go to playoffs back to back years, make it the furthest in a tournament that the program ever did. Um, you know, just, just practicing with these guys every day and working so damn hard um, all the time and had a lot of fun. So I, I got to say that uh, college takes, you know, uh, edges it out a little bit just because of what we're able to accomplish and uh, how much fun I had playing with those guys and, you know, winning a lot helped a lot. Yeah. So but before, because I'm really interested in the perspective of D3 schools, because I feel like, you know, D1 AA, you know, you, you get some credit, you know, you're probably on the cusp in D1 and then D2 is kind of like, okay, it's a step below and then people just completely disregard D3. So I'm interested in seeing like the world D3 football. But before we get to that, like when you're in high school, you talked about how like the team wasn't, how you guys kept losing, how you were like a good individual player, but ultimately the team kept losing. Was this a product of having just like not talented, uh, like an untalented team, or do you think it was too lax an environment where the coach is riding you guys too hard? Like, how do you, like, what do you think was the reason for that? And did that influence your decision when you were choosing a school to go to? Yeah. So uh, those are great questions. And it's, it's a combination um, of, a, of a lot of, of a lot of what you just said, Aaron, it's um, first and foremost, um, we had a very small team. Um, we had, like when we'd start camp, we'd probably have somewhere around like 40 something kids playing. And then a lot of people that are playing football for the first time and realize how, how hard it is. And when you get beat up and when you get, you know, knocked on your ground, have your bell rung, the constant running, um, you know, a lot of people just aren't cut up for that. So a lot of people drop out and then the season starts and then, you know, we're playing with, 30 something people. And then a lot of uh, my teammates were the best students. So uh, they were going academic probation, not be able to play. So a lot of times we were playing with maybe 30 players. Um, so we had, you know, all of our starters are playing offense, defense and, and special teams. So we just, there just wasn't enough, enough depth, um, unfortunately. And we were playing against other, other schools that, did really well recruiting and they just had more students and they were, you know, they'd show up to games that have, you know, two full buses of players and we had one, you know, so that yeah. was, that made it tough. Um, smaller team, not overly good at recruiting, but I played with a lot of really talented players, um, really talented and uh, really, really tough. And so we were able to kind of will ourselves to some games, but um you know, as much as I, as much as I hate to say it, our, our coaching wasn't the greatest, you know, our, our coaches were extremely hardworking guys and they, you know, they, they put their heart and soul in, into our, into our games, but the, uh, just kind of, you know, kind of really old school kind of mentality where it's like, you know, the tougher team wins, which sometimes that happens most of the time, not. And, um, you know, we did a lot of things in practice that got players hurt. Um, you know, my injury was pretty, was pretty foolish. Um, just doing weird drills that were, you know, from way back in the day. And I, you know, I remember before games, we'd have, <clears throat> we have this drill called a machine gun drill where you have two lines of players facing one guy and you come out and you just hit each other shoulder to shoulder. And it's, 
I mean, it teaches you how to get momentum and leverage, but it's also really tough. And yeah. one of the games my sophomore year, our starting center had a rough back, and he still did it anyway. So he got hurt 10 minutes before the game couldn't play. And I had to go from left tackle to center without practicing snapping the ball all week and on a muddy day, on a muddy, rainy day. And uh, that's what we had to do. So um, with with small numbers, you had to be a lot smarter with uh, with how you're practicing, preparing. And, you know, we're at full pads all year. And uh, now, granted, uh, we were really good at tackling. We're really, you know, we had a lot of hard hitters. Our defense was, re- was, was really good. Um, and we were, we were, we were, you know, tough SOBs. Um, but we didn't have a whole lot of backups. You know, we, our guys were super tired. And, uh, you know, we got out-schemed a lot as well. So, um, You'll yeah, be left playing six-man football. What? You'll be left playing six-man football. Yeah, so um, it was tough. You know, uh, I'll never forget one of the games – we were playing uh, uh, this team, uh, Aquinas. They were based out of Rochester, and they're a powerhouse. Um, I think they used to be uh, – I think a lot of their players used to go to Notre Dame. Um, it was kind of like a funnel program for them because um, they were called the Irish and stuff. I, I, I can't confirm if that's true, but they were really, really, really good. And uh, I think it was my junior year, we held them to 6 nothing at halftime, and it was a miracle. And uh, we were like, oh, my gosh, like we're in this game. Like <laughs> – we're out willing these guys. Like they've only scored six points. Like it was, it was incredible. Our defense played so, so good. Um, but then we just got outlasted. You know, they had, they had more depth. They were way more fresh in the second half and we were just beat and we ended up losing like 40 something, a three, you know, so <laughs> that happened a lot. It was just demoralizing, you know, to, you know, play so hard and work so hard during the week and then just never win. Um, so that's, that's what happened with us. And, you know, my, you know, uh, uh, time and, you know, they, they've gone through coaching changes and, and a new program and, you know, they've been able to win a lot. They've got a lot better recruiting um, since my time there. So, but that, that's why my, my program in particular didn't win so much. You know, we, uh, we had a lot of things going against us, unfortunately, but it was still fun to play and, you know, we still were respectable. We just didn't win a whole lot. Yeah. Well, I, I, a lot of times I think sometimes in high school, you know, it is important. It's definitely important to teach, you know, having that competitive edge and, you know, playing to win most definitely. I also think you also have to kind of like install in these kids, like a virtue of just enjoying what the game has to offer, you know, just kind of yeah. letting yourself get lost in it. You know, not everything has to be your do or die moment when you're playing football. And I think sometimes yeah. that gets lost. Yeah. But moving on to the division three world. I've always been a big believer because a lot of people will say high school football is kind of like the most purest form of football that can be played. And I agree to a certain extent, but at the same token, I think when you're just playing the game for the game's sake, I don't think you can find anything more just passionate than D3 football. Because when you look at, you know, D1, AA, D2, I think a lot of, a lot of people obviously are, you know, in those leagues that are still trying to get to the NFL. You know, they want to take that next step. They want to go professional. And in high school, you know, you have kids who are trying to get scholarships to go somewhere. You know, I mean, you could have kids who maybe don't realize that they're not quite good enough to get a scholarship at all. And then you have some who are really making it their life. I mean, you talked about, you know, kids who are recruiting, you know, and that's a big thing in high school in some states, you know, where you can just kind of bring in people for the sake of, you know, trying to advance that. But with D3, I've always been of the belief that the people who are there 
are kind of doing it because they love it. I mean, they might have some, you know, financial incentive with a scholarship, but they ultimately love it. And they recognize that after this, they're more than likely going into the real world. Would you say that's accurate based off the teammates that you played with or? You know what? That's, um, that's a really good perspective. And I think, I think it's, it's right on for a lot of it. Um, uh, first and foremost, I've played with guys that absolutely could have played D1 and play and like would have been starters for a couple of years. And a couple of the guys I played with got, got looks by NFL scouts. So the talent was there. And now, now granted, that's not every D3 program. I, I you know, I was fortunate. Uh, Alfred, uh, Alfred University has a really, really strong program. Um, definitely one of the strongest in the Northeast, uh, Northeast region of the country, probably on the, probably in the East, East coast. Um, but you're right. A lot of these guys know that they're not going to the NFL, you know, and they're playing because they just love football. You know, and that, I mean, I was, I was one of them, you know, uh, I mean, the, the guys that weren't super passionate about it didn't last, but I mean, the guys that were playing, you know, their junior, senior year, um, I mean, they just love the game, you know, they, and we love playing with each other. Um, our coaches were awesome to play under. Um, they were brilliant. Um, that's why they, that's why I won so much, but they also, uh, just kind of like what you were alluding to before, uh, they made sure that we remember that it is a game and, you know, we take it very seriously and it was very much a job, um, uh, playing, playing D3 football because you're just working all year. You're, you're working, you're practicing, you're working out, um, it's, it's, it's a huge commitment, especially, you know, coupling that with, with, with school. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, outside of a handful of guys, we all knew nobody was going to the NFL, you know, it's, and so we're just playing just for the love of the game to win, uh, to compete, uh, to play for each other, you know, to play for your teammates, your coaches, um, fellow students, you know, uh, everything I said about Buffalo is times a hundred for the village of, uh, for the town of Alfred, literally one red light in that entire town. And the only reason why that red light is necessary is because on the left-hand side is Alfred University and the right-hand side is Alfred State College. So <laughs> that town exists because of the, because of the colleges. So, you know, they, people show up and, you know, they, they bring their horns and face paint us. It was awesome. You know, we, we had a you know good sized crowds and it was, it was a lot of fun. And it was just really just for the love of the game. Um, love the game, love your teammates, love your, you know, love your coaches. Um, but again, you know, there's a couple of guys that had a legitimate shot, you know, it didn't, it never worked out, but there's some serious talent that I played with. I was amazed with the guys that I played with. Now your approach to like practicing your approach or that, you know, perspective on playing D3 football like that. Uh, you just gave me the perspective of how a player looks at it. Now, how does a coach kind of approach his job from what you learned as a player, because, you know, obviously like with D3 that we just listed, you know, it's doing it for the love of the game. Now, are these guys full-time coaches at the university yeah. still? Now, yes. Well, most of them are. Um, I think the guys that try to make it, the guys that try to do two jobs, it, it's tough. Uh, it, it's, it's really tough uh, because the, because the schedule is demanding and, and it's year round. Like, like what I was saying as a player um, for the coaches times five, because they are, you know, because I mean, I mean, just in the season, like, Holy smokes, all the, all the meetings that we run. Um, but even in the off season, I mean, that's where, that's where, the, that's where recruiting starts. 
and I, like all of our coaches did the recruiting. Our head coach, our coordinators, our position coaches. Um, like for example, I, I was recruited because it was uh, to 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 the head coach now Bob Rankle, who has been uh, since he's uh, filled the uh, took over since Coach Murray left. He's been absolutely crushing it, which is nobody's surprise. So props to him. Um, he recruited me. He was the offensive line run games. It, we had like two offensive coordinators. It was him and our, our coach Puccio. And uh, they kind of like split responsibilities. I can't remember what the what the what the deviation was. I think Rankle was more offensive line and run game, and Puccio was more quarterbacks, wide receivers, and passing. Hmm. Um, but he recruited us, and then he comes back, and you know, and then throughout the season, you know, they're they're coaching, they're coming up with game plans, they're scheming, they're organizing practices, they're holding meetings. So it is one hundred percent a full time job. And like I said, there's a couple of guys that. Um, a couple of guys that had two that, you know, that like had their first job and then had another one, but it was, that was really tough. So I, I don't know if I'd recommend it, but it, it is a full-time year round gig for sure. If, if you're taking it seriously and you want to, and if you want to be competitive, you want to win every year, you want to have the best team, you want to have the best recruiting classes. It, it's a full year round commitment for sure. Yeah. It's definitely not what people expect. Cause I think when you mentioned D3 football, a lot of people probably look at something similar to uh, blue mountain state. Remember that TV show? Yeah. I never, yeah. I, I watched a couple episodes that show is hilarious. Um, but maybe the players are as, are as goofy as those guys a little bit, but at least some of the players, but uh, no, it's, it, it is, it is no joke. Like, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for my coach and that was kind of the, one of the biggest differences I noticed from going from uh, high school to college is just how much, how much goes into it, you know, in between like the training staff, organizing meetings, organizing team meals, organizing team, uh, you know, lifting sessions, um, yeah, a study hall for the freshmen, because a lot of kids when they show up to college and nobody's telling them to go to class, they're just not going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, like for, for example, when, when camp shows up, when camp, when, when camp happens, we're the only people on campus except, no, the soccer team show up like a day or two later. So from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, it's football. You wake up at like 7.30 a.m. is the team breakfast. Then you have position meetings. And then you have, I think, a team meeting. No, no, position meetings. And then lunch. And then team meeting. No, then position meeting again. And then practice. And then team meeting. And then, uh, you know, team dinner. And then study hall. Um, so it, it's full go and the coaches are the ones that organize all this. Um, so like in the season, it's a lot, but again, when, when, as soon as the season stops, that's reviewing how the season went, you know, evaluating players and then starting to recruit and then organizing visits, you know, phone calls, emails, you know, watching tape and then deciding who you're going to invite to come to a campus trip and then organizing, organizing the, the visit, like, you know, what player, you know, what players are going to have what recruits, uh, organizing events for that, um, you know, meals and campus tours and talking to them and showing film and talking ball. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. And then, you know, once the recruiting ends, you just, you know, who's going to be there, then they're sending out the, the exercise programs. Um, you know, before we leave for the end of the year, the team does all of our, all of our, all of our testing. So, um, you know, four yard shuttles, 10 yard shuttle, you know, 10 year, like three cone drill, 10 yard shuttles, uh, you know, long jump, 300 yard shuttles, and then lifting. And then, you know, all that has to be documented. And then, 
we just gets reviewed all summer preparing for the for the upcoming season. So um, where I think you're right, I think a lot of people probably don't understand, but it is 100 percent a full time job year round for the coaches. It, it is a lot of hours. Now, being exposed to like the amount of work that goes in, like the extracurriculars, like even away off the field, like having to do like the bureaucratic stuff with like, you know, getting recruits and the organization, did that change your view of football in any way, kind of seeing a more behind the scenes view? Because I think a lot of kids when they're in high school, they see it, you know, kind of as a game unless they you know, are starting to talk to uh, like recruiters. But then once they get to football and they kind of see either how much money is behind it or they just kind of see how much work actually has to go into really putting a good product on the field that goes beyond just, you know, playing strategies. Yeah. Um, so, yes, you know, I, I will say that, again, I came from a very, very small high school and, um, you know, very low funded. So um, I'm sure that there's plenty of other high school programs that are, you know, in the state of, Texas, California, Florida, Ohio, you know, all those major high school football states that were probably, you know, when, the, when those guys go to college football, they're probably, it's probably a lot more familiar. Um, but again, I don't know, you know, if 14, 18 year olds really appreciate that, understand it or really care. Uh, so I think just, you know, when you show up and you're a little bit older and you can, you know, start to appreciate things a little bit more. Um, yeah, it was it was eye opening for me to just see how much thought went into it, um, how the practices were were structured, you know, the timing uh, of that, um, you know, the kind of meals that they would be encouraging us to eat, and everything I just said. I mean, it, it, it's it's a lot. Um, so it's I don't want to say I don't want to say it becomes a job, but it, it feels like one. I mean, for sure, because you you have to be. If you're gonna if you're gonna be a good football player, if you're gonna compete at that level, when you know, like for me, like like I showed up six three two twenty five, so not huge, definitely not small, but I was used to being the biggest guy in my team, or at least one of them, and I show up and everybody was bigger, stronger, faster. Um, that was my demise. I could never put on as much muscle as I wanted to, and um, so if you like. If you really care and you want to play and you want to contribute and you want to compete with, like, let alone the guys that you're playing against, the guys on your own friggin' team, um, you have to just work your work your rear end off. And yeah, you got to just lift and run. You got to be disciplined. You got to be doing things when people aren't telling you to. Um, especially like in summertime, you know, summertime you go home and your coaches aren't around and. I mean, you got to be in the gym. You got to be working. You got to be lifting as much as you can, eating like an absolute cow every day to you know, put on muscle that you need to put on, and you know, make sure that your cardio is good when you go back. Because when you go back, you're just going to be hitting and running and hitting and running and hitting and running all day long. You know, so they, you take it on yourself because if you don't, you're just you're not going to make it. And I, I'm not saying you're necessarily going to get cut, but I mean, you're just going to get your you're just going to get beat up. You know, and it's not going to be enjoyable to play. So you definitely have to take it way more seriously once you get to that level. And then again, when you're playing at a really strong program, like I had the, like I had the fortune to, um, the guys that I'm playing against, they were oh, like, I can't tell you how many all conference guys I had rookie of the year, offensive player of the year. Um, I played with a lot of all Americans and, and, you know, these guys are the best in the country at our division of football. And, you know, these are the guys that you're practicing against every day. And if you're not, if you're not working hard and if you're not working on your form and if you're not trying to get bigger, faster, stronger, and if you're not watching film, 
if you're not paying attention to what these guys are doing and trying to, you know, win the mind games, you, you, you're just, it's not going to be enjoyable. You are going to get beat up. And uh, I think that's what happened with a lot of guys that I play with. I think that's what happens with every freshman class. You get 80, 90 kids that come in and there's a lot of talent there. And that's why, that's why only like 10, 12, 15 graduate because a lot of people, they just, they just don't have it in them. Uh, they don't care enough. They don't want to work that hard. Um, you know, they don't have the mental, the mental toughness to make it or the dedication or both really. Um, it takes a lot as a player. Like if you're going to make it through four years of college football. Now for someone like you who was on, cause you mentioned how you were on the winning team and you didn't necessarily play as much as you did when you were in high school. And yet here you are getting up early in the morning, lifting weights, having to balance, you know, basically doing school plus football, which takes up an ample amount of time. How does someone like you really keep focus? Is it the, you know, the fact that you could be going in what position did you play? Defensive end. So was it, was it, you know, the, you know, pot, the possibility of you going in to relieve someone, was it just doing it because that's how you were raised to approach anything you would do just to do it with discipline and do it with a full and like wholesome attitude? Was it a coach? How did you kind of keep that poise? It, it was a combination of pretty much everything you just said, Aaron. Um, I mean, I was just, I was just raised to be a hard worker, um, you know, to show up when I'm supposed to show up and, you know, give it my all. And it's just like, that's just something I have just naturally. Again, I come from a family of athletes. Um, uh, you know, so we love the, you know, I love the game and um, I don't ever want to be, well, <clears throat> I was always trying to get better. Um, first and foremost, like when I, when I showed up to, to Alfred and I was not even close to the best athlete or biggest, fastest, strongest guy on the team as I, you know, you know, that's, you know, I don't want to say I took all those titles on, you know, my, my high school team, but I was definitely one of the strongest players. Um, and just going from top of the totem pole to the absolute bottom, like overnight, um, that was a big smack in the face for me, you know, as a wake up call. And, uh, you know, I'm playing with these guys that are just so big, so strong, so fast, and they're just good. They're smart, they're tough, and they're freaking crazy. Um, I don't like, I didn't, I didn't show up, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't work my tail off, you know, six months of recovery from uh torn meniscus that ruined my senior year of football, which is probably, probably would have been my greatest individual year of my career, you know, had I not got hurt um, to show up and quit or to just not be a factor on the team. You know, I did not like not playing on Saturdays for sure, but uh, fortunately throughout my hard work and always showing up on time and working my tail off and, you know, winning, you know, always coming first or second in sprints and you know, at the end of practice, um, you know, building a reputation. I had a lot of, <laughs> I had a lot of funny nicknames uh, in college because I was, I was, I had a screw loose on the field and I, I had to, or I wasn't going to make it because everybody was so much stronger. And, you know, really there's just guys that were just better than me, you know, and combine that with the fact that they can lift twice as much as I can. And, you know, they weigh a hundred pounds more and they're not slow. You know, if I wasn't, if I didn't have a screw loose, I would have never made it four years, you know? So I wanted to contribute. I wanted to have the respect of my teammates and my coaches. I wanted to be viewed as a valuable member of the team. Um, I wanted to help my teammates win games. And uh, even though I didn't get to show that um, nearly as much as I wanted to on Saturdays, um, I definitely graduated with the respect of uh, my teammates, you know, that were before me, the same year as me. 
um, after me and my coaches. Um, you know, and while I, I would have rather contributed more in game day, um, just like hearing these guys that were the best football players I've ever seen, you know, these guys that were All-American offensive tackles that were like, how, how did D1 and D1AA miss out on you guys? It's, it did, never made sense to me. And hearing them tell me, like, you know, after we win a game, it's like, Charlie, like, you know, you know, six games in the season, like nobody, nobody that I play against on Saturdays has a pass rush like, like, like you do in practice every day. And I loved hearing that. That was like the most high praise. And I wish, you know, I wish a lot of my coaches would have shared that same confidence in me, despite the fact that I didn't weigh enough or lift enough, uh, lift, lift enough weights. Um, hearing that from these guys that I went against every day that I knew were so incredibly good. And it wasn't just my opinion. It was all their peers when they were not, when they were selected all conference, first team, all conference, you know, third, second team, all American, first team, all American. Getting that kind of praise from those guys that were that, that good. Uh, meant a lot to me, you know, and, and I um, being able to contribute to our team's success, you know, just in a more unconventional way, as most people probably think um, that meant a lot. And I was, you know, I was never going to be a guy that was not going to give it my all or not work as hard as I possibly could or uh, wuss out or anything like that. You know, I wanted to do everything I could to, you know, make sure I was the best player I possibly could be. And also, um, make our team better and help us win games. So um, it, it, it was a weird path for me. You know, I still think about it a lot, but um, it, it was a really outstanding four years. And I, I, I think back on it like every day. So it, it was pretty awesome. Now, when you, when you talk about how your peers recognize like how much you're contributing and, you know, how, how well you're playing, but the coaches doesn't reciprocate the same feeling that they do. How does that kind of, play into like your relationship with the coach because obviously it's a guy that you want to play hard for a guy that believes in you enough to have you on the roster but maybe someone who's not really gonna put you in as quickly as, as you want i mean is there some sort of underlying frustration with him or do you just kind of recognize yeah. that he may yeah, have there a better was, idea yeah there was definitely frustration um you know it, it is like it's kind of hard to argue with the coaches when they win so darn much uh, but you know, so we ran a we ran a three four defense because our linebackers were spectacular. Oh my god, they were so good. Um, and we had you know, so we ran a really blitz heavy defense, and they were and there's just there's just we had just such remarkable success. But you know, we had a it, it was funny, you know, me playing D line. Um, you know, that's obviously a, a a position group on on a football team where it gets rotated a lot. There was no rotation which was really strange. Now our starters were incredibly good. And there's a reason why they were starters. Like, 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 like before I go any further, it's not like I didn't start because somebody had a vendetta against me. The guys who started over me were better players. Mm. They're better players are bigger, bigger and stronger. Um, so just, just to throw that out there, but you know, it wasn't just me. Like there, there was guys that were on, you know, our second tier D line that were really, really good. And so as good as our defense was, I, I think it could have been better because if we would have just rotated, rotated the D line and kept our starters more fresh and, you know, have us come in, it's not like we were a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of schmucks. We would have held our own and made some plays. Um, but yeah, I just, I didn't get it. I, I didn't get why we never rotated on the D line. Now, granted, I, obviously there's a lot of confidence in our starters for good reason. Um, but, you know, I mean, we played games there. One of our, uh, conference rivals with Springfield, they ran the uh, the wishbone offense, 
So they would run 60, 70, 70 plays a game, and they were good. Like they would, you know, I mean, this is a team that never passed the ball, and they'd score 40, they'd score 40 points a game all the time. And so we're playing them, and, you know, their, their offensive line, it was so funny. I don't know. Um, it was so funny going against them because all they did was, was chop block. And their their offensive line were tall, skinny guys that looked like me almost. And you're a little bit heavier, but because they would just run all over the field and they get to the second level and they would pull all the time and you know they'd be you know they'd be having to run out and get your linebackers like quickly and you know defensive backs quickly all the time and their their stances looked like ours did because they had their ears pinged back because they were going forward every single time. Um, so they they had a really good program. We had a lot of really close games against them. And uh, but no, like we played them. I remember one game. It was like, oh my gosh, it was like eighty-five degrees, and uh, our starters are are sucking wind. Like they're playing great. You know, we're, it's a really tough game, but like they're coming over, they're dying. And we like me and, and my and my fellow uh, D lineman on the, on the second on the second line never never sniffed the field. And I, I went to my coach after that game because this is uh, it's my junior senior year, junior year. And I'm like coach. If I'm if I'm never gonna see the field on defense, I want you to put me on special teams. I was like, if I'm not gonna play this past game, I, I'm obviously not gonna see the field defensively. Put me on special teams because I was also very fast. Like like my speed, my speed was the best part of my game once I got to college, or arguably, you know. And uh, they put me on spe- they put me on special teams. I was I was put in a really odd position, um, <laughs> at least for a punt return or anything like that. Um, you know, I was on. You know, wasn't I wasn't even on the on the first uh, kickoff team. You know, it, it was weird. So it, it was frustrating because all of my all of my colleague, all of my co, all my teammates. Um, I was about to say workers Oh my gosh, um, <laughs> everybody knows that I'm good. I, I show up in practice. I make plays all the time. And well, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying just make me a starter tomorrow because I want to be. But yeah, I don't know why I never why I never touched the field, like even like in a rotational sense, uh, me looking back at my career now, I probably should have played outside linebacker, um, you know, just so that, you know, if they're, if they're going to double team me with a, t- with a tight end on defensive tackle, I was not going to stop that. You know, I probably would have got buried if it was two really big, really good guys, but you know, I, you know, there probably could have been a, a position change, you know, cause I was, I was a good pass rusher, but I could definitely cover a back out in the flat uh, tight end might've been a good switch for me. Um, but it was funny, like, you know, I, I would see other, you know, I would see creativity with other players, um, you know, take a guy who was he showed up on defense and put him on offensive, uh, offensive line. Uh, one of the, one of the guys I played with, he was, uh, he was a linebacker and he was a big dude. Uh, his name is Ryan DeFavio. Uh, he actually, uh, he's from West Seneca. So essentially Buffalo, New York. And he actually became, so he was, I don't, he's, I don't even think he's six, he might be six, six feet tall. I and mean, he came in as a, uh, as a linebacker, he's a big dude, but really fast and super athletic and really strong. And he was like, no, you're going to play offensive tackle. And like from his predecessor, who was his predecessors, like six, three, two ninety, six, five, three, ten, all Americans. And for him to uh, take over that, he was six, I think he was like six feet, not, you know, didn't have long arms, long legs or anything like that, but they made that switch. And he was outstanding. He was an absolute stud. Um, so seeing that happen around the team and like not happening with me, I, I, I don't know. I, like it was definitely frustrating. I don't know why. 
Um, I also had three defensive line coaches in, in four years, so that definitely played a part into it. But yeah, so yeah, it was frustrating. You know, it still frustrates me to this day, to be honest with you, because I definitely could have contributed more than I did. But again, you know, it, it was a great four years, and you know, it was a lot of fun. But uh, I'd be lying if I if I was saying there wasn't some frustration there. Now, so you have voiced the frustration with that, but if you had to take away your entire experience from playing football, uh, what do you think you would mainly take away as far as what you either learn about yourself or what you learn about people? Or, you know, even even that's not necessarily something that you would do over again or something that maybe you would do the same if you had the chance, but like what's something you really took away that stood out to you from playing football uh, all those years? I teach you how to be a man. Straight up, that is the number one thing. And, um, you know, for any, you know, this is not just football related. You know, this is how sports are. So it, it makes it makes boys men and, and, and girls women. Um, and, uh, you know, football, um, I mean, it's just for so many reasons. You know, it just, it, it's, it's on you, you know, like you have to do things that are going to suck. You have to run and run and run until you throw up. And then you got to go home when you're bruised up, exhausted, and you got to go and do it again tomorrow. Um, you have to show up to meetings. You have you know, all these meetings that you have to show up uh, early. You don't ever be on time because if you're on time, you're late. Um, so it teaches you, you know, how to organize your time, um, how to be accountable, um, how to take criticism, and that's something that, you know, I, I you know I'm only 30 years old, but. Um, the generate, you know, the, the, I don't want to call them kids or whatever, but from what I've seen, you know, there's not a whole lot of people that, you know, want to take accountability for things or do things that are, that's not easy, you know? Um, but that's the thing. It's like, you know, you do like you work super hard, you, you know, you get in better shape and then you, you play against people and like, you know, you get beat up and bruised, but it's, it's teaching you something, you know, it's teaching you toughness, it's teaching you mental toughness, physical toughness and, and you also, you got to be smart um, because unless you want to get hurt, you got to change things. So you got to be adaptive. You, you got to be adaptable. Um, and also, it's just respect as well. It's huge. Um, respect. You know, uh, you want to get the respect of your coaches, um, and you really, really, really want to respect your teammates um, because they're all doing the same thing that you are. And if you know they can see you working hard and doing the right thing, and you know, you know not wussing out uh, when you could or not being late uh, when, when you shouldn't be, um, you know, going the extra mile and doing everything for, you know, to make yourself better, make the team better. Um, you just earn so much respect. And, you know, like I have so much respect for the people I just talked about. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's just, you know, it, it's the, the, the friendships that you make, you know, it's, uh, they're, you know, they're not friends, you know, they're, you know, they, they very quickly become family. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, that that's what always makes it hard when you have to walk away. You know, that's what made it hard when I graduated from high school. Uh, that's what made it hard when I was graduating from college. You know, it, it wasn't, of course, I was going to miss playing ball and, you know, hitting people and stuff and all that. But I, I was, I, the reason why, you know, I cried my eyes out that day is because I was miss, I was going to miss playing ball with, with those guys and, you know, for my coaches, you know, because you spent so much time with those guys in four years and, you're so close and you go through so much together and like you witness other guys suffer injuries and like how hard it is to come back from that. And, 
you know, people that get, you know, their rear kicked in and get back up and ready to go the next play. I mean, you just, you learn a lot about people um, and you just grow up really quick and you become a man, you know, and it's, um, it just goes so far beyond the football field. And I know that's, that sounds very cliche, but it's just so true. Like I, I, I've learned so much from all my years playing football from, you know, sixth grade, sixth, seventh grade, whatever it was through, you know, my senior year in college, you know, you just, you learn so much, you grow as a person, um, you know, you become, you know, responsible, respectful, you know, accountable. Um, it's, you know, it just, that, that is 100% the most I'll, I'll take away. And, you know, before I wrap up on that, um, a guy that I had the fortune to, uh, to know and to play with, um, his name was Nick Clark. And uh, unfortunately, two years ago, <clears throat> so, so to preface this real quick, he was, he got a D1 scholarship to be a wrestler at, at University of North Carolina. I'm, 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 I'm pretty familiar. It was, it was North Carolina somewhere. I'm pretty sure it was UNC. And uh, he eventually transferred to uh, Alfred because he wanted to play football. Uh, and he was, man, um, I played with a lot of really talented guys, some guys that blew my mind, but he was the best football player I've ever seen. Um, he was, he, he was a linebacker. Rookie of the year in our conference. I think he made all conference all four years. Uh, he was an All-American. Uh, I think uh, he had the he graduated with uh, uh, with uh, school uh, with the most tackles in school history. Uh, tons of sacks. He was a running he, like we we he was our running back in our power package. He ran for a ton of touchdowns. Um, he was just the consummate leader, hard worker. He never made a mistake. He was so tough. Oh my gosh. He hit like an absolute freight train, um, never missed a tackle, never missed a practice. He was always the first one to show up for meetings, for, for, for meals, for practice, for everything. You know, he was, he was incredible. And then after we went to college, <clears throat> after we graduated, he became a state trooper. Unfortunately, two years ago, he's, he's killed in line of duty, um, responding to a domestic disturbance where, um, where the male on I don't know if he was a husband or boyfriend or whatever was, uh, you know, threatening uh, a murder suicide. And, uh, you know, unfortunately he, he did that to, uh, to Nick, um, you know, uh, Nick was, you know, just trying to respond to the call and then, you know, unfortunately lost his life. And, uh, but <clears throat> while he, he definitely, you know, left us as a hero and it's, you know, it sucks that he's gone. We all miss him a lot, but uh, nobody was surprised to hear that, that, that he, Responded to that and just went, we just went right to the door and tried to save a life, you know, um, because, and we learned all that playing football with him because that's just, again, you learn a lot about people and, you know, he was just fearless and he was always, he would always be the first person to go in a drill or to go on the spot to answer a question about a game or, to, you know, admit that he screwed up or something like that. You know, he was, he, he was that kind of a character person. So, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's awful that he's gone. You know, he was super young, but um, not one person that played football with him or coached him or was around him was surprised to hear that he would, you know, go right into the, right into the furnace um, with no fear, no hesitation. So uh, that's like the most extreme example I have, but it, it's, it's true. I mean, you just, you learn so much playing football with people and for people and you just learn what they're about. And you can tell that it's like, it's not just a good football player and a good captain or whatever. It's just a good human being that 
you know, <laughs> do great things beyond the, the field of football. And, you know, Nick would have done a lot of great things um, for many, many, many years. But, you know, he was that guy. Just a scary situation. No fear, no hesitation went in. And unfortunately, you know, unfortunately went the uh, horrible direction. But nobody was surprised to hear that he did something like that or at least tried to. You know, so and that goes back to our time playing football. So um, it's it's a really powerful game if you if you can tough it out and if you dedicate yourself to it, you you, you you'll be a better person for it if you dedicate yourself and if you are willing to do things that are tough. You know. Yeah, and everything you touched on, you really get the sense. And I, I played football for a little while. Um, but I, I think anybody who goes through it at some point recognizes that the sport has like a certain militaristic quality to it because, you know, by the very nature of the sport, you're very much in line with the rules. You know, the fact that you, ha- that you're only allowed that, you know, on say on offense, you have to have seven men in the light of scrimmage and you can really base an offense around these rules and guidelines. You know, you're only allowed to pass the ball forward once as opposed to, you know, in basketball, soccer, lacrosse, where the ball is in constant movement. You know, the sport is very, you know, it's a burst sport, you know, it's stop and go. And I think when you, when you rely on the amount of pre-planning that goes into football in terms of, you know, needing people to hit the weight room, needing people to really meet with their units to understand what the game plan is. And even at the micro level, you know, I mean, an offensive lineman may not recognize or may not know what a receiver has to do on a certain play, but nonetheless, if you don't block for the quarterback, he's not going to be able to get that ball out. And likewise, on the defense, you know, if you're a safety or a corner, you know, your coverage can only last for so long before a quarterback that's not getting rushed can find an open man, you know. So I think really it kind of humbles you in the sense where you're going to get down and dirty and you're going to get humiliated because there's always someone bigger out there. But it also humbles you in realizing that you're kind of one in, in an, like an ecosystem. You know, when you're on the field, there's 10 other guys that you have to kind of collaborate with to achieve a greater goal. And uh-huh. I think when you get, I think, I think you find a lot of, out about people, especially in the game of football, who are willing to sacrifice that sense of not, not individualism uh, or responsibility because you each has an individual responsibility, but who's willing to go out there and communicate, who's willing to lead, who's willing to pick someone back up after they just got burned for a play or, you know, who's going to be there to tell you, Hey, you just got knocked down, go back and hit him again, you know? Right. And, and there's, a, there, there's something very respectful in that, in that regard that football teaches you that I think maybe some other sports lack because, you know, when you talk about a violent game as it is, you know, in, in a way it's kind of like the same approach that martial artists have where, you know, you are very, very much humbled in the beginning because you don't know the techniques. But when you can learn the technique and you can learn really how the whole strategy works, you can understand how to be disciplined within that system and use it for your benefit. And I think in order for a team to do that, you have to be disciplined. You have to really know the system. And to know the system, I think it comes through knowing others. And that goes way beyond the field. Yeah, and that's um, – I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I feel like I didn't touch on that enough. But, yeah, it's just um, the camaraderie that you get, which I know I touched on, but also, you know, like the guys that I'm talking about, you know, they they were such superstar football players. And, like, I, I really mean it. Uh, but if they didn't have the other ten guys that were – as good as, as our teams always were uh, doing their jobs and, you know, going in and, you know, I mean, how many times, uh, you know, Nick Clark, who I just talked about, you know, he, he, he'd have a tackle for a four yard loss because uh, Wes Smith, 
linebacker in the middle who is almost as good as Nick, which is crazy because he would blow up and blow the guard three yards behind and crush the fullback. So Nick just got to go in and, and make a tackle by himself. You know, it's like stuff like that happened all the time. Um, so just knowing that, it, you know, as good as a lot of these guys are, everybody needs to do their part or we're not going to have as much success as a team. Cause it, again, it's just, it's such a team thing. And to your part too, you know, like everybody has their play where they get, where they screw up or, you know, like, you know, it's, you know, it's, a play gets ruined because you missed your assignment or you fell down or you had a, or, you know, you, we had a first down and somebody has a holding penalty. And instead of your teammates, you know, yelling at you and making you feel bad, you know, pick your chin up. It's like, Hey, it's okay. Dust it off. We got the next play. Let's go. Are you back in? Are you back here now? Let's go. Like we have another play. Let's, let's get back into the, get back into the game here. So, and we had that, we had that through the roof at, at Alfred. We had, you know, there's only, <clears throat> so many um, C's to go around for the captain designation, but we had a lot of people that had uh, captain level leadership um, on those teams all four years that I was there. And that is, that, that's another huge reason we're like, yes, we had a lot of talent. We had an extremely smart coaching staff that was brilliant at scheming. Um, but we just had really, really high character guys, which is definitely a part of the recruiting process. So, you know, um, like, for example, our, our my senior year, our backup quarterback was one of the four captains that we had on our team um, because he was he was uh, his name is TJ Kilker because he was <laughs> he was just a leader. He was the guy that people listened to. He worked extremely hard. He always did the right thing. He always showed up on time. <clears throat> so we had a really strong, really, really strong core of people with high character. Um, and again, just like to your points. These are the people that pick ever that pick other people up that take responsibility when they screw up. Um, you know, they don't, you know, we, we never started playing the blame game, you know, and there was a lot of games that, you know, things look tough and if we weren't going to win and, but we always came together cause that's, that, that's just what you had to do. And um, that was really awesome. And again, that was part of the, you know, one of the many things that I loved so much about playing at Alfred was just, my teammates and my coaches were unbelievable. My teammates just blew me away. You know, they were, oh, my God, we were so fearless and so tough and nothing. We never backed down from anything, no matter how good the team we were that, that we were playing or anything. We had all the all the confidence in ourselves and in our teammates, really, um, which was so cool. So that's that's definitely one of the best things. And, and again, it just that carries so far beyond the field where, you know, now in my company, it's like, I could be awesome at my job, but if the rest of my team is not good at our job, we're, we're probably not going to be around for too long, you know, and, you know, it, it takes a team. It, you know, we have to rely on so many other people to do our jobs. Um, and you got to understand that everybody else has got other things going on. You got to treat them with respect. You got to be considerate, uh, but you got to do your part. Um, so everything I learned there is, is um, you know, I've taken with me every day since without a doubt. And I will until the day I die for sure. So, it is a really unique game, and I think that's a big reason why it's you know it's it's the biggest sport in our country. You know, and, you know, definitely one you know one of the biggest in the world. But yeah, and it's that uniqueness that for me that drew me in because you know when it's kind of like what I touched on earlier. You know, when you see a lot of sports, they're very free flowing. You know, the ball is in constant motion. You know, with this you have a lot of creativity with a lot of rules and that's very hard to see, but you see just like what they're able to do with 11 men on the field in terms of formations, plays, um, you know, just in strategy uh, for, 
in the kicking game or in personnel, you know, you really find just uh, that's kind of like the reason why I named uh, my website, the football odyssey and named this blog too, is because there's so much depth of the game that really, I don't think you can find in other sports. And it's just through the nature of the game through having, you know, the amount of rules that you have uh, and, you know, the amount of strategy that goes into it, but also, you know, when you look at the amount of people that goes into putting a football program together, you know, when you talk about, you need, you know, 22 starters, you need backups, you need people to recruit, you need a front office, you know, you have people who are part of this big system, you know, mm-hmm. and it's really cool to see like how people interact within the game of football and how it kind of impacts them and how it influences their relationship in their personal lives and in their professional life. Yeah, and you know what? Um, a great example of, of what you just said. Um, you never know who's going to make the play that'll win the game. Um, I'll never forget. Uh, I think it was my junior. Uh, no, I think it was my senior year. We were playing um, University of Rochester, and we weren't having a particularly strong game, at least not in the, not in the first half. And um, <clears throat> one of my buddies, who was a fellow senior, um, he. Uh, uh, Ryan Quinlevin, we call him Quinny. He, uh, I think somebody got hurt and he went in the game or he was like our nickel starter, uh, nickel cover guy. So he wasn't on the field all the time. And they were about to, uh, Rochester was about to score, which is going to put, put us in a really hard spot. And he made the most ridiculous play in the back of the end zone. It was like a one-handed interception that he was like four feet off the ground. And it totally flipped the 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 momentum of the game and if if people were going to ask who's going to make that play nobody was going to say him you know so, but that's like the thing where it's like everybody matters everybody counts so and that's you know it's it, it's it's one of the most unique things about about the game you know and like as opposed to other sports where like you know in basketball you know if you if you if you sign lebron james your team is going to be way better than they were last year like yeah. guaranteed but in football you can you can sign the best quarterback in free agency if you don't have a good offensive line, if you don't have good receivers, if you don't have good play calling. It only take you so far, you know. Um, yeah. And that's why, you know, in in, in football, uh, or at least in the NFL, that's why I don't believe in tanking. Because if you are clearly trying to lose and you have 53-something-odd guys that are trying to win every single game, every moment, try to get on the field, I just don't see how that can carry over into the next season, even if you get a great player. Um you know, because you've just, you know, if, if you're trying to ins- install like a losing mentality, people are just not going to want to be there, you know, or it's it's not going to work out for you next year. So it's, it, it takes so many moving parts and so many people that are dedicated and, and it really takes a good message and a really, really good leader. Um, and it, a leader that inspires others to take on leadership qualities as well. Definitely not a dominant person that wants everybody beneath them. It's like you want, at least that's what I that's what I got from my coaches that I played under. Is, you know, they want everybody to be a leader. So um, another reason why I love it and why football is so unique because you need so many people doing so many right things all the time. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Because it's like you know, like you mentioned, when you're playing basketball, you know, it's very easy for one person to take over a game. You know, when mm-hmm. you're when you're watching baseball, a, lo- a lot of the game pretty much comes down to the the contest between the pitcher and the batter. You know, mm-hmm. So there's these individual matchups in these team sports that are very much influential, a direct influential outcome, or they have a direct, um, 
a direct result on the outcome of the game. Whereas mm-hmm. in football, you know, the matchup between a all pro corner, and all pro receiver may not necessarily have as much to do with how a left guard can open a hole for, you know, the running back in, you know, a man blocking scheme, for, for instance, you know, so it's kind of like there's a lot of like games within the games that forces people to be held accountable. Um, yeah. And that, yeah, and that's, and that's what really, that's what really adds the complexity, you know, because I mean, it's often, it's oftentimes when, you know, you, if you're watching football with someone who doesn't really like pay close attention, they think it's just kind of like mindless, you know, someone throws the ball, someone gets tackled, but really you see there's just like minute details that really are the difference between getting a winning team and a team that loses. There's, there's 11 different games happening on every single play. I mean, exactly. I mean, how many times have you seen where there is an absolutely perfect play where, like, you know, say <laughs> quarterback throws a 60-yard touchdown, but because uh, the defensive end won his battle against the offensive tackle and he had to hold the guy to prevent a sack from being happened, yep. six points off the board. Yep. You know, I mean, how, I mean, how many times does it happen where, you know, like say like a defense has awesome pass rush and they're about to crush the quarterback, but the receiver absolutely smoked the cornerback gets like a 30-yard completion anyway. I mean, everybody has to be so on their game at all times, especially like at the NFL level. Oh, my gosh. I mean, if there's any kind of remote sign of weakness or if you're not being super disciplined, you just get so exposed. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I can't even I can't even imagine. I mean, the margin of error has got to be so, so tiny at that level, you know, because, again, I, I just refer to what I played, which, you know, Granted, a really good program, but still Division Three football. And the margin of error was pretty darn slim there. I can't imagine what it must be like in the NFL. I mean, that just <laughs> well, see, every time you and I together, we talk about a lot about NFL when we were growing up. And mm-hmm. I, I gotta say, you know, watching football in the two thousands is something really unique, right? Because it's kind of like the last decade before fantasy football and social media really came in to the sport. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it would, it would, but you know you talk to people now and they'll watch football just because of fantasy. You know, even if they don't necessarily like the game, they, they can make money off it for whatever reason. And, you know, sure. hey, you know, I'm for the game of football. If you can find a reason to get into it, I support it. Um, and, you know, but you, you look at the, the decade between the 90s when, you know, teams were starting to get a little more flexible in terms of what they were doing in the passing game, um, in terms of kind of spreading the game out a little bit. And then you still had teams in the 2000s that were committed to the running game, but you also had a lot of passing too. So it was kind of like a time where you had the last of like the true dropback quarterbacks coming into play, but you also saw like a little bit of a transition too. Yeah, um, I got to be honest. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm always going to love football and I'm not going to complain about having a league where you have – Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, you know, Drew Brees, who can just throw it all over the yard. I mean, that, that that's that's entertaining to watch, and it's amazing to see those guys do it. But uh, what I do miss about uh, about football, you know, that, that we watched growing up, so like, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, was uh, was defense. Um, it's 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 just so – it's so dang hard to play defense now. And I – you know, I get it. You know, it's for the safety of the players in, in some in some regard. Um, but it's also, I mean, it's also pretty obvious that 
you know, the league just wants a lot of the big shootout games and a lot of points because it's it's exciting. Um, I am one of probably the smaller percent um, where a defensive struggle, as long as like it's as long as like the def- the offenses aren't terrible and they just can't score because they're not good. But if the defenses are that good, I love those games. Yeah, and absolutely. Like I'm preaching the choir with you. The Baltimore Ravens Steelers games every single year, I would make sure I would be in front of the TV for both of them um, because those defenses were so good. And like when the offenses would finally score, it'd be like it's just like they just climbed to the top of the mountain because it's not like you know their offenses were bad. Both teams always had good offenses, but you know when they finally get in the end zone, it's like after trying so hard for so long, and they were finally able to you know crack through. You know, a steel wall. I love those games. I miss the big hits. Um, no, I do appreciate how the NFL has scaled back on like the head-to-head contact. You know, because you have to be more disciplined. You know, and these guys are having you know brain issues, so you can't mess around with that. But also, like a part of the game is the big hits. You know, and if I hate when I see I, when I see a player, you know, whether it's a safety or a linebacker, have an absolutely perfect hit. On, on a ball carrier, on a potential receiver, you know, shoulder right in the numbers, head across, you know, head across the, the body, you know, full wrap up and absolutely land base the guy. Love that. Love it. Now, granted, the other player is going to be hurt, but that's why, that we, that's why they wear pads. I don't want anybody to get seriously injured, but big hits are a part of the game, and those have all been eliminated, which, uh, which you know, which, which, which stinks, you know, because I, I missed that. And, you know, there's, it, it's so hard <laughs> – it's so hard to time that up and have it and ha- like have like the right form and just crush somebody like that. It's hard to do. So when players do it and they don't, you know, they're not undisciplined. They're not just dropping their head going forward or, you know, they're not having a, 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 a cheap shot when they get penalized for it. Not only does it take away something great that they just did, but now the offense has that much of an easier chance of scoring. That I miss a lot, and um, I don't know if it's ever going to go back. It probably won't, but I, I do miss that. Well, and, and to be specific on my end about the defense, you know, I really miss when safeties were a household name. You know, when you think of safeties that we grew up watching, like Troy Polamalu, Ed Reed, Rodney Harrison, Brian Dawkins, uh, John Lynch, like these were guys who were very good in pass coverage, but, you know, a lot of them made their name, you know, getting up at the line of scrimmage, blitzing off the edge, you know, getting down the box, making those tackles against, you know, like the I formation backs, the double tight ends, you know, <clears throat> in today's game, you know, you have Jamal Adams, who's very good. You have Mika Fitzpatrick. And I would still throw in Earl Thomas, you know, and that's not to say there aren't others who are good, but, you know, you just don't look at safeties the same way you do anymore. You know, back then they were kind of like the big, you know, big play guys that would, you know, change the game. Now I think it's more you have one or two guys who are capable of doing that. But, you know, for the most part, you're more fascinated with, the you know, the defensive end, the corner, you know, guys that can just drop back and rush the passer, you know, at, when they're out of the shotgun. Yeah. Um, and, and, I don't know if that's a product of how the game has changed or if it's because we also, maybe we just, you know, there's also the look of the guys you just mentioned are all of them are hall of famers. That's you know, true. Edwin, yeah. Paul Malo, John Lynch. Those are three of the best safeties ever. Uh, Brian Dawkins is not far behind. Um, you know, those guys, I mean, those are, those are amazing, amazing, amazing players. So 
I don't think you're always going to have a group like that of a position in the NFL at once anyway. But, uh, no, I agree. We're And, you know, what I was just talking about, like the big hits, that's, that's the safety position. The safety position, they can place themselves in a position to have those knockout hits uh, more than anybody, more than the linebackers, more than any other person on the defense. And now with the NFL, with those rules, they don't do it as much, which completely changes how offensive and defensive uh, game plans are made, obviously, particularly offensively, because, you know, if, if you're if you're preparing to go against, you know, Tampa Bay back in the day with John Lynch, Philly with, with Brian Dawkins, you're not going to draw too many routes over the middle. Like, you will, but not a ton because it's like, he is going to kill my receiver, and my receiver yeah. is either going to be beat up for the rest of the game, or he's going to be scared, or he's going to be, you know, he's going to drop passes because he's worried about getting hit again. Like, but those guys you just mentioned were so good, like not only with their coverage skills, but with their physicality, they would alter how an offensive coordinator would drop a game because they'd be afraid of that or they'd be, at least be worried about it. But now, because, safe, you know, I mean, players still have those big hits, but not nearly as much because, you know, they're, they're penalties now. Um, yeah, that has completely changed how a lot of offensive uh, uh, game plays are, are, or game plans are, are made going into the week and how defenses play, play offenses. I mean, I, I, I'll never forget a great example. Uh, a couple of years ago um, is the Cincinnati game. And I can't, I can't, I don't know if it was an in-division game or not. It might've been against the Steelers or Steelers or Ravens Browns. Uh, they did like a reverse pass and they threw like the wide receiver threw it back to Andy Dalton and it was an absolute duck. Dalton had to like, you know, reach in the air for it, and the safety or cornerback, whoever was on that side, read that play perfectly, and he should have crushed him and forced an incompletion. But yeah, I know what he you're ran up, slowed down, so he didn't hit Dalton too bad because not only was he reaching up, but he was also a quarterback. And then like he missed the tackle, and Dalton ran in for a touchdown. That play 100% is because he was afraid of getting a penalty, which shouldn't be a penalty. Like if he was just you know, if Dalton was like this and he hit him in the midsection, you know, that's that's just the game of football. But at least in my world, but now with these with, with how the rules have changed, um, defenses have you know, they're scared to to do that and then offenses score more points. You know, it's I, I'm all for like a few every once in a while, but I it, it's it's just so easy to score points now, um, for a lot of those reasons. Yeah, and it seems that hesitation obviously it's a frustrating element if you're a defender in the league. But you know, you you could also make the argument that it also can cause more harm to the defense than anything, because you know you got to figure, you know, when, when you're coming at full speed, uh, obviously you're coming at a very fast rate. You're going to leave a big impact. But you know, if you're at the moment you start hesitating and um, a receiver makes a quick move, or you know, a guy comes down to block you when you're not anticipating it, you know, you could be just knocked out just as bad as the receiver could have been if you had a, if you've gone through that full hit, you know. So it's like a situation where I'm not sure you can really have a full. Um, you can come to a complete resolution for, aside from just stressing tackling drills. You know that that that's yeah. something that you always hear about. Oh, it's like now, yeah, the NFL is like such poor tackling, and you had to be amazed because you got to figure, you know, in camp you could just do tackling drills. You know, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, so I mean, uh, to your point, you're never going to take away, you know, injuries. You're never going to take away head injuries. You're never going to take away torn ACLs and all that stuff. Um, that's just, it's always going to be there. It's, you know, it's in the nature of the game, but yeah, but you're right. It's, and, and that, that's something that you're, that you're taught 
um, as a, you know, I was taught as a football player very early on, it's like when you second guess yourself or if you're worried about something, that's when you get hurt. So, you know, and that's like a big thing where it's like, if, you know, if you, if you have an injury to like really anywhere and you get put on the field too soon, or if you're just thinking about that, about, you know, like either like your ankle, your shoulder, your knee, and if you're not focused on the game 100% and your attention is elsewhere, everybody else is paying full attention to the game. So yeah, you'll get your, you'll get your clock cleaned or you'll get it hurt even worse, whatever the injury is. So, so yeah, I think you're right. I think when a lot of these people are, a lot of these defenders are, you know, going to make a play and their instincts are telling them one thing. And then at the last second, when they change their mind, because they don't want to get a penalty, that's where they can take a weird step, you know, roll their ankle, tear up their knee, um, you know, or like if the ball carrier is going to go full force into them, they'll, they'll get knocked out. So I, I, I understand what the NFL is trying to do, but I just think they've gone too far on that side of the fence. Um, I mean, you just got to let, I mean, the guys in defense have played a lot of money too, uh, to do their jobs. And it's, it's in the last eight to 10 years or so, definitely in the last five, it's been pretty darn difficult to, you know, to play defense, like even, it doesn't even have to be big hits, even, even covering wide receivers, like, Oh my gosh. Well, the most frustrating thing for defense has to be kind of like that five yard penalty, which automatically is a first down. Yeah. You know, where it's like, uh, you know, prior to the pass holding and it's like, come yeah. on, man. And, you know, it's like, it's like first and 25 or, you know, third and 14 and then it's a five yard penalty, but it's an automatic first down. It's like, come on, man. I think if you really want to equalize, you know, making it more of an equal game for the defense, I think, you know, penalties, if the yardage doesn't equate to a first down, then it's not a first down. You know, if it's, you know, if it's second and six, you know, five yard holding uh, before the before the pass was thrown, then it's second and one. No more of this, you know, automatic first down unless it's you know, an, an egregious, you know, you know, personal foul you know, unnecessary roughness or, you know, late hit on the quarterback, then fine. I could see that. But, you know, these five-yard penalties, they're just, like, cheap. And it's like, come on, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's been this way uh, for me as well for a while. When Whenever a ball falls incomplete and there's a cornerback, like, or a safety, whoever, uh, that's right near a potential receiver, you all, like my initial reaction is like, okay, where's the flag? I'm always expecting a flag all yeah, the time. All the time. And wh- what's tough is like, you know, when you show these replays in slow motion, you can sh- anything could be taken as as pass interference. But like, what I what I wish that you know these replays would show more often is the entire route because the entire route is super handsy on both sides. I mean, that's all that's all receivers and corners do. It's hand battle and, you know, a little shove here, a little shove there. Now, granted, if you're pulling jersey or bribing somebody's arm or something like that, obviously that's a penalty. But there's been so many ticky-tack, uh, you know, holdings, pass interference, and, like, you know, how pass interference could be a 40-yard penalty. Um, it's, you know, it's it's tough. Again, again, it's like if somebody's clearly holding or pulling jersey or, you know, rat, or like locking their arm up, then, yeah, that's obviously a penalty. But – just if like somebody's hand is, you know, if a corner or safety's hand is like on a receiver's jersey, like I just, I just wish it wasn't so easy to get that penalty because it's, it's tough to cover these guys. I mean, oh my gosh, you know, like trying to cover Mike Evans or AJ, or AJ Green or Julio Jones, it's almost impossible. And then, you know, if you can't be, you know, especially like, you know, those guys that are bigger that I just mentioned, 
if you have a cornerback that's like 5'11", 197 pounds, and he's covering Julio Jones, if he's not physical at all, Julio Jones will have 18 catches. You yeah. know, so yeah. there's that element to the game that I feel like they're just trying to eliminate, and it's it's just impossible. And it, it makes for games that are so full of tons and tons and tons of penalties, and, you know, it's it takes away from the fun of watching the game, which obviously the NFL does not want to do, but it, it's been going on a lot. Well, you want to talk about making like uh, making a game unbearable. Even if you do fix all the penalties on defense, you still have special teams. I mean, I swear to God, every time there's a great, beautiful return, I'm just waiting for a block in the back call. Because I mean, that's 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 another thing too. Like when we're talking about you know football when we were growing up, we grew up in a great time for not only you know safeties but also like great return men. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dante Hall, David Hester, Josh Cribbs, like we had some really good returners. And now I just don't mm-hmm. feel like you can actually have a good return anymore. You know, it's you just have too many guys that are they're too stringent with it, you know, with these blocks in the back. And I get it, but, you know, I got to think there's a happy medium between just letting them run wild and then having to call on every single, you know, punt, punt return. You know? Yeah, it's it's tough um, because you're you're switching fields like immediately. So – that's like kind of one of those like, like um, for like punts. Well, for punts in particular, definitely kick off. You know, kickoffs a little bit too. It's, it, it'd be kind of punts. Punts more particularly should be kind of like you know, like like a hail mary at the end of the game. Like if there's anything egregious, then obviously call it. But there's always going to be a tiny little bit of a block in the back here, or something like. That. I mean, it's just it's it's unavoidable. You know, in, in like so in so many ways. But yeah, it's like. To your point, um, all those players, I mean, they were so exciting. And those are, you know, r- they're rare plays. But back then it wasn't super rare. And, like, now it, it, it's very rare to get a kick re- kickoff return for a touchdown, a punt return for a touchdown. And, again, a lot of that is to do with penalties. Um, so, <clears throat> I like, I get they're trying to clean up the game and make it more safe and stuff like that. But um, they are definitely eliminating a lot of the more enjoyable things where – Again, like, you know, the defensive battles, you know, people like I know a lot of people don't like them, but I mean, those are also really good football games, you know. So I don't know. The NFL has gone in a pretty different direction than than when we grew up. Um, And there's a lot of still great things about it. I mean, the athletes just continue to get better and better and better. But, um, yeah, there are definitely parts of that, you know, that we had growing up that are definitely not as much anymore that I definitely miss. Well, and I think to that point about, you know, watching football as a contemporary fan, you know, I don't think there's really a better time, like strategy wise to watch the NFL, because you just have like such an array of styles that are coming at you so many different, um, you know, schemes, you have so many different coaching philosophies. I mean, it really is, you know, in terms of a strategy perspective, a great time to watch the game more so than it's ever been, I think. Um, But you just have to kind of find a way to bridge the gap between, having these crazy penalties and also not letting the game run wild because you want it to be safe but at a certain point. You don't want the referees really over officiating to the point where they're deciding the outcomes of games. Yeah. Which that, that has happened a lot. Um, obviously the, the new Orleans, uh, LA Rams, uh, NFC yeah. championship game two years ago. That's one of the most, that's one of the biggest disasters in professional sports in my lifetime. I mean, Holy crap, that was so bad. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the NFL does it all the time. I mean, the, 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 the referees have way too much say in outcomes of games. And I, I think one of the 
one of the things that the NFL should fix is to make to, uh, the, the officiating um, to make that the referees full time. I mean, I cannot believe that a multi-billion dollar industry like the NFL does not have full time referees. I, I don't know the reasoning behind it. Well, they don't want to take time. They don't want to take time away from Ed Hockley in the gym, you know. <laughs> That's I. That blows my mind that their refs are not full time. They should be dedicated to that sport year round. Um, and I know I know that's been a, a point of contention with a lot of people, but hopefully that'll change. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the officiating has been really, really bad in the NFL for a long time. Um, and you know, if, I mean, if it's supposed to be the the best sport in the country, one of the biggest in the world, officiating's got to be a lot better. It's got to be a lot better. Um, so I, I, there's a lot of reasons that. There's a lot of different avenues to take. I think making the officials uh, full-time year-round is one. Um, and just more, I don't know if it's maybe more or less reviews of these rules because they, they change every year. And, you know, uh, having, the, having the the replay review for, for pass interference was a complete nightmare. I mean, what a disaster that was. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the, what the answers are, but – um, that's definitely something that's got to improve because the officiating has been so bad in the past couple of years. And it, I feel like it's progressively gotten worse. So for, for, a, for a league that is that successful and has the amount of resources that the NFL does, that's, that shouldn't happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, I think we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously the NFL has adapted to these situations before, so I would like to think they're going to be able to come through in this situation, but I mean, that's, that's hoping that we have a season to begin with. So, you know, the, yeah. threat, is, the threat is looming large. Yeah. So let's hope, but yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll get it right. I'm sure at some point it's just, you know, it's, it, it, that's the thing. People are going to make mistakes. Ref, you know, the referees are not going to be perfect. I mean, I mean, they're watching a game with all the fastest people on the planet. You know, it's their mistakes are going to be made. So let I mean, let's 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 get that out there. But um, there's been too many egregious errors in the past couple of years that you know need to get right. And so, but in terms of to, to your point of going back a little bit to scheming, um, it the, the coaching these days has just been absolutely brilliant, especially offensively. Um, <laughs> a good example I have from a game I watched last year is it, it was the Bills Patriots that Saturday night game. Um, this is just the genius of, you know, Belichick, McDaniels, whoever you want to give the credit to. So before the snap, Brady called Nikhil Harry in motion from right to left. And they and then the snap they snapped the ball. Brady fakes the handoff to Rex Burkhead and then fakes the handoff to Nikhil Harry. And then on the right hand side acts like he's going to throw a, sc a screen to Edelman and then turns around and throws the ball to Nikhil Harry. So they faked three different plays before they got back to the one that they were going to run. And Shaq Lawson was the end on, on the right-hand side, and it was his responsibility to watch Nikhil Harry. But then he saw, play, like, play action to Burkhead, faking it up to him, and then fake screen. So he went after Brady. <laughs> By the time Brady turned around, that's exactly uh, the, the perfect amount of time for Shaq to give up on that assignment run after the quarterback. And he dumped it off to Harry and it was the first down. It was like, it was so brilliant how they faked out three different plays and came back 
and just kind of like what we're talking about earlier, they're just waiting for one guy to screw up, and they yeah. played they played him perfectly, and then as like the second he went off of what his assignment was supposed to be, that's where the ball went, and uh, yeah, it's just you have to be so on your game discipline wise, and you have to be patient with a lot of these with a lot of these coaches and uh, these these offensive game plans. Um, so scheming wise, yeah, I mean it, it, it's incredible, and it just it continues to get better every year. What well, and that's the thing too when you mentioned about the offense, you know, it's like obviously you know Belichick we recognize as a, a brilliant defensive mind, but usually the term you know genius we, we kind of reserve for only offensive coaches, right? And normally when it comes to defensive coaches, you know, we might say you know he's got a good scheme, but it, it feels like when we're describing defensive coaches, we're always referring to their character and their emotion as opposed to their you know brilliance as a coach when it comes to drawing up plays. Like, why do you think that is? I mean, because Aside from Belichick, I mean, I can't really think of a defensive coach, maybe besides Dick LeBeau within the past, you know, 10 years who's really – or 15 years who's really been recognized as that sort of you know, defensive mastermind. I mean, I, 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 I would even guess Rex Ryan, but even then Rex was, more, was much more known for his, you know, personality than he was as an actual defensive mind. Yeah, I mean, his, his defense is unfortunately <laughs> until he got to Buffalo – his defenses were, were outstanding. Um, obviously, with with the Ravens, he had he had the fortune of coaching this Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. Uh, but then he he went to the Jets, and outside of Darrell Revis, he didn't have that same kind of talent um, as he did in Baltimore. But no, I mean um, that's a good point because I do think that I, I do agree with you. I think that I think the genius crown gets placed on offensive uh, play callers all the time. Um, but definitely not as much as defense. And I don't know, because I know defense is about deception and discipline for sure. Um, that's something that I know that um, uh, the Bills safety tandem, uh, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, that's the reason why they're so good is because they fake coverages before every play. They'll either, they'll come up to the, they'll, they'll go to a part of the defense that they have no responsibility for. And right before the ball is snapped, they'll run over to the part that they're supposed to be at. Either they're wait to the last second to show up blitz or show blitz and then go cover out one third of the field or whatever have you. <clears throat> so, and that, and that is definitely, that's coached for sure. And um, we're like, I think, you know, like whenever whenever somebody talks about Poyer and Hyde, they talk about those two individually. And obviously they're the players and they're the ones doing the execute the execution of that. But nobody talks about how Leslie Frazier is definitely scheming that all week long. Now, now they're great at executing it and they're very good players, but that's obviously the idea of the coaching staff. And obviously the players contribute, especially when they're, you know, when they're intelligent and, uh, you know, been around the league for a while, like what Poyer and Hyde have. But yeah, you don't, you don't really get you don't really get the genius thing, and like I think more, now more than ever, if uh, if a defensive coordinator and a defense is able to absolutely handle an offense, especially a really good one, um, yeah, there's a lot of disguising and deception and and really good execution, you know, that obviously is incredibly tied to the the defensive coordinator and you know the like the defensive coaching staff and. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's, I think there's more creativity with the offense because there's a lot more you can do like before the snap and whatnot. But maybe that kind of helps. Um, and you know, like the play I just gave an example of, you can't, 
you can fake out three plays and one on offense. You can't do that defensively. I mean, what's the ball snap? You just got to do your thing. So maybe yeah. that's it. Maybe there's just more motion. There's there's more things you can do offensively, which which opens the book for more creativity and more, you know, where more attention gathering plays. But uh, but you're right. Um, people definitely don't give that 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 level of credit to defensive coordinators nowadays. Like if it's good, it's great. He's got a tough defense, but that's you know you don't really hear much past that. Well, and it feels like too. It feels like it started happening a lot around maybe 2011 when it feels like defensive coordinators had to hit the reset button because you had quarterbacks that were just throwing for you know upwards of five. 5,000 yards, you know, and no one really knew. And a lot of people were blamed that because I think that was when the lockout happened and, uh, you know, players weren't really at minicamp or something of the sort. And really, you know, you're, you're seeing these formations or these passing attacks that were just outrageous. I mean, it feels like Breeze at one point was thrown for 400 yards or Aaron Rodgers. That season, he was unbelievable. You know, it's like and Tom Brady too, because I mean that season they went to the Super Bowl against the Giants, and I think that defense had given had a record for like the most uh, yardage given up by a defense in history. And you're you're watching all this happening, and you're like, man, you know, defensive coordinators really have some work to do. And I think ever since we yeah. saw like the introduction of like the, these dominant passing attacks, we just kind of completely forgot about defense. I mean, you know, we've been talking about a little bit about the three four defense. You know, back in the when we were coming up, you know, that was a base defense, you know, four, three, three, four. Now it's like you immediately get on the field with the nickel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I think, I think a big part to do with, with why the game has changed a lot is just with the quality of, of players at quarterback, uh, kind of similar to what we were talking about with the safeties early on, um, where all at the same time you had, you know, five of maybe the, five or six of the greatest 20 safeties ever all playing at the same time. And they all were great in coverage and would absolutely crush you over the middle um, where, you know, all of a sudden you have Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, probably one, two, three best of all time. I mean, you can argue for other people, but all those guys are worthy of being, you know, if, if like, I think if anybody says that those are the three best ever, there's not going to be huge argument. And then on top of that, you have Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers. Um, uh, you know, I mean, Cam Newton was more of a runner, but I mean, you get, you know, Matt Ryan, you know, has been good for a really, really long time. And then, you know, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck had a great run for a while. You get all these guys that are, you know, can just throw whatever pass they want. They never miss. Um, you know, they're super smart before, you know, like uh, calling, you know, making calls before the snap. Um, so, you know, pre-snap adjustments, I, I just think that the level of quarterbacks really kind of forced the hand to switch how defenses play because they were just able to figure it out. I mean, I mean, I, Brady, Breeze, and Manning are the three greatest examples of that, you know, from the guys I just mentioned. I mean, they just – how many changes do they make before the ball is snapped between when they break the huddle? You know, it's <clears> – <throat> they're just able to make so many changes and they were just able to diagnose things. And I just think that maybe that did not happen – as much, and again, I don't want to say because I didn't, you know, I didn't get to watch, you know, Kelly Marino, Elway, all those guys. Maybe they did a lot too, but I know that since I've been watching, holy, holy cow, the the pre-snap adjustments have been through the roof. And I just think that that, that that's what coordinators had to adapt. They had to have a lot of different options because quarterbacks make changes like that all the time. And then combine that with the fact that these guys can put the ball wherever they want, 
and that the receivers just keep getting better and better. You know, it's <laughs> it's just kind of the it's just kind of the evolution of the game. You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're definitely right too in terms of like the the quarterbacks that we've had. We've been very very blessed that we've had you know, such high quality. Um, you know, especially when you look at uh, Manning and Brady too. You know, because you know, when you watch Manning before the snap, especially when he was in Indianapolis, you know, it was like he was like you know, it's like he was reading a book almost. You know, he was just like constantly just looking over the defenses, just shouting out. And you know, Brady didn't do it to that extent, but you just saw like you know when those guys got behind, got behind the center, that they knew firsthand what was coming. Yeah, um, and I, I'll remember. I, I hope I'm right with the quote, but <clears throat> or with the player, I think it was Mike Peterson, who was a linebacker for the Jags for a long time. Um, I think it was him. It was a linebacker for the for the for the Jaguars. And I, if it wasn't him, I, I can't remember who. But he said that after a game is like we were we were walking up for a play, and I saw I saw that the offense was in this kind of formation. And as I'm about to make my audible, Manning audibles before me and switches, he knew, and then the play that they ran was the exact perfect play against that defense. He's like, he knew the audible that I was going to make before I even made it to my team. So you get guys like that that are just, you know, film junkies, and they're so smart, and they can just walk up to the – they can walk up to the uh, – walk up to the line of scrimmage and see, okay, this is the formation that they're in. This is what we're in. They're probably going to change this. We need to change that and have that done in like four seconds. You know, it's, it's like impossible to have a, <laughs> to have a defense for that when your second defense, he already knows what you're going to do. You know, yeah. I, I think Zach Thomas in uh, Miami actually had something similar to say about that too. I mean, yeah. Now, did you go ahead. go ahead? I was going to say, you know, we're talking about Manning and Brady, do you think at this point there's still any merit to the argument that Manning is a better quarterback? Yeah, well, of course there is. Um, I, I, I don't agree with that. Um, I think it's more like 1A and 1B at this point because Brady, Brady's obviously been, been so great for so, for so long Um but he also had, like, you know, he and he's won a lot. He's obviously been to more Super Bowls and won a lot more, which obviously has a huge um, – he has a huge uh, part to play in all that success. But he also had Bill Belichick and great defenses for a really long time. You know, the most of his – majority of his career were Peyton Manning for the majority of his career had pretty, had pretty weak defenses. You know, he had, uh, he had good pass rushers in Mathis and Freeney. Uh, Bob Sanders had a really good – a couple of years, but I thought like his, his defenses were pretty weak. So he, he put a lot on his shoulders. Now, granted, he had a lot of good weapons around him offensively, Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne uh, being the biggest uh, players to mention there. <clears throat> but, um, I mean, his numbers within the season, I mean, he just – he was amazing. You know, and his statistics were great um, for good reason. He was just – he was unstoppable. I mean, just watching him play, I mean – he was just he was just so much better than everybody else, and you know obviously he had good players around him offensively, but I mean he just knew you know, he knew what what play to put his team in all the time in every single situation against every opponent. His his accuracy was completely flawless um, for so long, um, but 
to that point. So I think I think Peyton Manning's probably the best regular season quarterback of all time. I think you know, I think that's is to this point. I think that's that's pretty fair to say. Um, but when, once it got to the big games, um, he he folded in the playoffs a lot. Or like obviously the rest of the team didn't play great, but I, I like I remember watching Peyton Manning a lot, and he was just not the same quarterback as he was in the regular season. And you know, you come off like I think they, I think the Colts have have a record of like seven straight seasons of starting seven and zero, and they were one and done in the playoffs so many times. And um, that's where I think the big separator is between Manning and Brady. Where Brady, there was there was never a moment that was too big. There was never a deficit that was too great. He just never, he just never lost it. He didn't start falling apart in games where like Manning could go from like a six touchdown performance. And then the next, and then if he plays against a really strong D he'll, he'll throw three interceptions in, in one half, you know, um, he would, I, he would get really frustrated. And um, I think he just get mentally out of a lot of games, which is why I think um, they didn't have a ton of postseason success. Um, and, you know, in India in particular, uh, where Brady, he might not have had the gaudy numbers that, that Manning had in the regular season, but when it came to the playoffs, championship games, Super Bowls, he just, he was just on the money the whole time. I mean, crap, when they played the, the Eagles um, a couple of years ago, they lost, but he threw, but Brady threw for like 400 something yards. 500. 500 yards? Yeah. Yeah, it's like he just, and like and like his team was not playing like his defense was not playing well. Um, players around him weren't playing great offensively. But he's just that's what I think is the biggest differentiator is where he was Brady obviously was great in the regular season. Manning typically had better numbers, um, and his his offenses were typically always better because of him definitely. Um, but um, and the big games man Brady just always shows up and he always just finds a way to win just ice in the veins and would make the perfect throw and just never rattled. I think that was, that's the biggest thing. And that's, that's a huge reason why Brady has, you know, has had so much more postseason success because they've been to the postseason almost the same amount of times, probably Peyton Manning hardly ever was not in the playoffs. So yeah. I think that's the biggest differentiator. And I think, I think too, going back what you were talking about, uh, you know, Payne not having a defense, it feels like at times there's kind of um, selective use when we talk about football as a team game. You know, it feels like when we want to discredit a, a quarterback that we believe is overrated, overrated, we say, oh, well, it's a team game. But if it's someone that we're trying to elevate, you know, we say, oh, look how much he's doing with nothing, you know. Right. It's like a, at a certain point, you know, it's like we've got to kind of be consistent. But uh, I would still ultimately give it to Tom just for that reason that whenever he went up against the, the toughest competition, he came up big. Because when you look at the teams that Peyton Manning lost to in the playoffs, you know, they weren't slouches by any means. I mean, you know, you're yeah. talking losing to New England twice uh, when he was in Indianapolis. He lost to Pittsburgh in 2005. In 2008, they lost to the Chargers uh, in San Diego. Um, you know, Whenever he was with Denver, they lost to Seattle in the Super Bowl, obviously, and then they lost to Indianapolis, which I found shocking. And what's it called? Uh, Baltimore, too. You know, so, you know, the teams he was playing in the playoffs were by no means weak teams or easy ones to beat. I mean, the only exception I would say is probably back in, I think it was 2002 when he played, uh, I I think it was Chad Pennington in the the Jets. Oh, man. And I, actually, that that and uh, Mark Sanchez too in uh, 2010. I mean, those were probably the two worst teams, and he ends up losing those games. Oh, that yeah, that's when, uh, 
Yeah, that's when the Jets went back to back championship games. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. That's and, and, and that, that and yeah. beats me, man. I mean, that was and that was the year too where uh, New England was just going on off the rails. You know, they had Welker, Gronkowski, Hernandez, Woodhead. They were just going nuts and. I think the Jets in that season, what they lose forty-five to three on Monday Night Football when they went to Foxborough, yeah. and then they went and then they went in there and beat them in the divisional round. Yeah, yeah, that Before was losing to Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship. Those years were crazy because I mean, uh, the Jets' defense was was excellent at that time, and that's when uh, the Jets. I, I think that's when they had the really good running game with uh, Thomas Jones. Uh, L- another, LT. Yeah, an LT. Um, I think Sean, Sean yeah. Green, he was on that team. Yeah, yeah, Sean, yeah, Sean Green was a beast for a couple of years. So, yeah, they just, yeah, and that was, you know, that was the old, old way to win is defense in a great, in a great ground game. Um, you don't really see that so much anymore, but, but yeah, it was, but no, 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 you're right. Um, and you know, Brady, you know, Brady, on the other hand, were like, you know, Manning, you know, he had his, he had Marvin Harrison originally in his pretty much his entire career, Andrew James. Then he went to Joseph Adai. Joseph Adai was good. Uh, Marcus Pollard to Dallas Clark. So he always had really upper echelon talent. Brandon Stokely as his as his, uh, yeah. as his slot receiver. You know when Brady won when the patch when the when the Pats won the three out of four Super Bowls. Their um, their skill players. You already mentioned Antoine Smith, uh, David Gibbons, Deion Branch, Troy Brown, Christian Fourier. Like a lot of a lot of really underwhelming guys, uh, but they were still able to do it. Um, and you know Brady, the I, I always go back to this too. The first year that he had that top top flight talent around him, you know, with Walker, Randy Moss, uh, you know Hernandez, Gronk, you know he he broke the touchdown record. So well, actually that, that was before that was before Gronk, but yeah, you know, yeah, the, uh, Dante Stallworth was on that 07 team. Yeah, yeah. First year he had that that first year he had that kind of talent. Um, all over the place on offense. He he broke the single season touchdown record, but then Peyton Manning breaks it again. So um, I don't know. I I don't I don't think there's a wrong answer there. But I've just seen I've just seen Tom Brady just play so insanely good in the the biggest games and the biggest moments over and over and over again against the best teams. Um, so I just I just got to give it to him. You know, the guy's just unbelievably good. Um, you know, and Manning again. He's, he's. He, I think he's right there behind him again. I think it's a one A one B thing. But for me, I just think that uh, they're 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 neck and neck in a lot of ways. But I just think that the clutch that the clutch factor for Brady is is the one that takes it. I agree, my man. We uh, we're at two hours and twenty minutes, man. Time is flawed. So before we before we close off, man, just uh, obviously we've been talking a lot of football, gotten to know your your football story. Uh, if you just want to close off, just talking about that, how much of an impact that football has had in your life? Yeah, I mean, um, it's hard to say more than I already have, but uh, what what I can tell you, and you know, everybody that's that's listening, um, I know we're kind of getting to a point of time because. You know, football is obviously a dangerous sport. There's no doubt about it. But a lot of people are um, kind of a lot of parents are saying that they don't want their children ever playing. You know, don't want their sons to to play football. Um, just you know, put some put some thought into it beyond 
the the potential for injury because like I said, you know, 10 years of my life, I played football and uh, I grew up so much um, on the field, in the locker room, um, just hanging out with my teammates, learning from my coaches. I mean, um, my, I mean, my coaches were so influential on me, you know, from little loop high school and, and, and college and like, you know, what they taught me just in terms of being a good student, being a good player, um, being responsible, being respectful, um, you know, you'll, you'll learn how to take criticism, which a lot of people don't do. And it's like, <laughs> uh, that, that's been incredibly successful in my professional career, you know, where if I'm, if I make a mistake or if I did something wrong, when my, you know, when my boss is telling me what I did wrong, you know, I'm not going to get all emotional and get super insecure or angry or not listen. It's like not everybody's perfect. And that's, and you learn that so quickly um, in football where you screw up and, you know, yeah, somebody's going to get on you. And like, sometimes maybe you start, you're a little, you know, a coach can be a little bit too harsh, but a lot of times, I mean, they're teaching you because they want you to be better because they know you can be better. And it's not, you know, just because they're not dressing it up super nice doesn't mean that they don't have all the best intentions. And, you know, you just learn, you learn accountability, how to be responsible, how to be a respectful young, young, young man, um, you know, how to be tough, how to be mentally tough, how to be able to like to endure challenges in really hard times, whether you're hurt or you're getting injured or, you know, you work, you, you work your butt off and you lose anyway. I mean, they're just lifelong lessons, um, that are so that are so good and also just past what it takes you know what what it goes um for you beyond the football field um and in life and like professional situations they're just great memories i mean i like i said i wasn't kidding like i i think about football pretty much you know every day you know and i think about certain games and certain practices and certain drills that we did and certain moments and you know locker you know stuff we had in the locker room i mean you know, they're just experiences I wouldn't trade for the world. And like, I know, like I talked about some of the things I wasn't too thrilled with about my career, but I, I, I'm not kidding you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for a second. Um, just how much I learned, how much I grew up, how much uh, I learned about myself and learned about people and learned how to handle situations and, um, you know, how to, how to handle things and handle life, you know, in so many ways. And then, you know, just the men that I learned from, um, and, and my coaches in terms of what they taught me on the football field and also just how to be a good young man and a good student and, you know, everything, everything that goes with that. And then just my friends, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I mean, at first, you know, they always start off as strangers at some point and then they're, and then you look at them, look at them as actual teammates and then you look at them as friends. And then very quickly after that, they become family. And uh, I mean, it's a bond that is so tight, you know, from my buddies from high school and, you know, uh, my friends from from uh, from Alfred, um, we're still all super tight. And when we get together, we, you know, we talk about the old days and they're just great memories, you know. And um, a big reason why they're such great memories is because it was so difficult, you know, and we were pushing ourselves so hard and we got pushed so hard and we were enduring through being exhausted and being hurt, uh, being miserable because we had just had four days of practice that, that whooped our butts and we're showing up again, you know. It's, but it's because we're able to get through it and we got through it together, um, you know, you just, it's, it's just, it's just something, it's just something that you can't ever replace. And I know that, you know, a lot of these things aren't specific to football, but because football is so demanding physically and mentally, um, and because what your job, like what your job to do is so important, even, even though you're on a huge roster, 
um, it's it's so unique. And, and like I know it's the ultimate team game is such a cliche, but it really is because like we've talked about multiple times. I mean, you could be a backup. You could not sniff the field for eight weeks and then somebody gets hurt and you go in. And if you go in and, and you do your job and you help your team win the game, you're never going to forget that day in your life. You know, it's going to be amazing. And, uh, you know, it shows you patience too, patience and persistence. Because, you know, your moment's not always going to show up when you want it to. And But if you stick it out and you don't quit and you still work hard and you make yourself better, you're going to get your moment eventually. And then you're going to find out a lot about yourself, how you rise to that occasion. So, um, you know, it goes on and on and on, but it just, it just develops you into a man really quick and you learn a lot really quick. And, you, you know, you, you get to a point, you're either going to, you're either going to tuck your tail and quit, or you're going to, or you're going to, uh, tighten up and, and get through. And again, I'm so glad that um, I was able to play for 10 years and play with really good, with really good guys and under really good coaches. And uh, again, I like, I can't even imagine where my life would be if I didn't play football. Like, and that, that's not an exaggeration at all. You know, just everything I learned and I experienced and all the memories that I have and all the people I have in my life and what we experienced together and how we're still tight and how we're still, teaching each other things and helping each other out and having each other's backs. Um, it's amazing. And like, you know, I'll finish with this. The, um, when, when, uh, <clears throat> when Nick Clark, um, my teammate from college, when he, when he passed, um, that was such a great example of how much that of a, of a family we have from, from Alfred university, because everybody was incredibly sad. Um, it was awful, but, um, Unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend um, his funeral, but they had it in, in Alfred, New York. And players that played that were before his year, people that graduated with us, people that were graduated after us, uh, former coaches, former athletic training staff, teachers, um, so many people showed up, and it, it was just amazing because it's just and it wasn't like it wasn't even a. a, a hesitation these are guys these are people coming from all over the country now um you know and we you know we i mean we lost a friend we lost a brother and um it, it wasn't even hesitation for any of these people to show up and say goodbye and you know you know i wasn't there unfortunately and i hate that i wasn't there I, um i i had something i had to do and I, I couldn't i couldn't make the flight but um i mean from what i gather i mean everybody was like you know after the sadness was over it's like it's like you're right back in the locker room. And it was, it's just, again, you know, I, I, I didn't play any other sport for nearly as long. So um, I don't want to diminish from any other sports, but it, it's unique, man. I mean, you just grow in such a way and you grow together with people so much and you just carry that stuff with you the rest of your life. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I'll always encourage and, you know, be safe and, you know, people being concerned about injuries is, is valid, but, um, it, it's the greatest sport in the world for a reason, you know, a lot of reasons really. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would um, 10 years. I mean, that's a third of my life. I played <laughs> I spent playing football. I couldn't imagine my life without it, man. It, it was so great. And, uh, and obviously I still get to enjoy it every day, you know, watching it and hanging out with my old teammates and stuff and rehashing memories. It's, it's, it, it's, it's a blessing that I'm eternally grateful for. I couldn't agree more, man. All right, before we sign off, just want to remind everybody to go to thefootballodyssey.com where we have plenty of articles you can read. Also, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at thefootballodyssey.com. All right, at the Football Odyssey.
Charlie, this was a great time, man. We had a great conversation. Really yeah. glad to have you on. You were like the perfect person I could have had as the first guest on the podcast, man. I'm glad you accepted. Uh, I, I really appreciate there, and this is this was awesome. Um, I haven't had a awesome conversation like this about football in a long time. And, I'm, and uh, thanks for uh, for asking about my uh, my personal journey. You know, that's you know stuff I think about all the time, but I haven't talked about in a while. Uh, definitely not to that depth. So I appreciate you uh, thinking of me, having me on, and uh, I had an awesome time. And uh, if you ever want to ask again, I will absolutely. Uh, come back. This has been great. Good stuff, man. And hopefully we can have a season and we can get together for some games. For sure. All right, Charlie, take care. All right.